Jeffrey. What's that you have in your hand, boy? Pass it over. A telegram. Oh dear. Seems someone has been biting me. Fetch me my trousers at once. No, not those. Those are my time travel trousers. Those are my tea trousers. That's it. Those ones. My fighting trousers. Regarding your recent foray into the rap business and the scene you portray, see, I don't normally approve of war games, but he's buying his what they all Beats. say. The final frontier. These are the lists of the Starship Baconburger. Its ongoing mission to explore new theater selectors, to seek out new and terrifying unit options, to boldly go where no tough fighter has gone before. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, we're back within a very short space of time. So you know, maybe this is something good going forward, but I'm just going to very open open this podcast. Hang on a minute. Oh, God, this thing's putting up a fight. Here we go. There we go. I don't know if you can hear that, but... Mm. Like uh, James T. Kirk wrestling oh. a green space lady. I'll have you know it's called <laughs> a Gorn. I am here. I am Tristan, as per usual, known as Chubby Cheese. I am your Captain Kirk on this uh, enjoy Voyager Discovery, joined yet again with, uh, I'm going to call Sneaky as my Spock, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaky is totally Spock. Um, Hari, uh, no, sorry, Rubes. Rubes is definitely Scotty, down in the engine, just keeping it all going. Hari, you are the captain. You, she doesn't have no power. <laughs> Not the lithium crystals. And Hari is the red shirt who bites it within the first 10 minutes, normally with a bayonet. Amazing. I love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to stop telling those jokes. No, I'm not. That's a lie. I'm going to keep going. With oh, them. shit. <laughs> um, evening, lads. How are we all? Good, good. Um, I can feel the pond fire coming on. <laughs> Demolding. Somebody, some, somebody warn Marissa right now. Quick, get her out. <laughs> get her out. Oh, Sneaky, you make a great Spock. I'd love you. I'd love to see you with those ears. Just, just Oh, you're not... No, you, you're just not. You're, you're a little bit too emotional. Mainly angry or grumpy, but not. Yeah, not 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 pure logic. Anyway, so we are a bold action podcast. We're not a Star Trek podcast, and I swear to you, I'm not going to rabbit hole this one. I'm probably lying about that, but famous we're back. Last words. Yeah, famous last. Definitely famous <laughs> last words. Right now, right now, Russell the Love Muscle is in Tasmania going, "Yeah, bullshit." Yeah, let's see how long. Let's see how long that lasts. <laughs> so let's get into it straight away. Hobby. Hari, talk to me. Um, not a whole hell of a lot on the hobby front. In mm. between working on the rifle brigade, hang uh, on, universe... can, I, can I jump in? Hari, how have you gotten any hobby done? Because you are currently living what in a swamp, in a river, uh, estuary at the moment, under the sea, under yeah. the sea, down where it's wetter, down where it's better, under the sea. Isn't that I right? I traded in the water dragons for crocodiles, Dave. and I'm investing in an LVT. Yeah, it's so, um, it's been a bit of a interesting couple of weeks. We copped something like 600 mil of rainfall within about 48 hours, Jesus and Christ. chronic flash flooding. The Northern Rivers is now a natural disaster area. Um, that's not a joke, by the way. That's actually yeah. Real. This is all genuine. 
Uh, Lismore had 14 metres, 14 point something metres of water. The central shopping square building shifted on its foundations. Um, there's quite a few uh, lost lives, unfortunately. That is and, yeah, the region is going to be suffering for a couple years to come. It's not an un... Okay, flooding in this region isn't uncommon. Flooding to this extent is yeah. very uncommon. This is a once-in-a-500-year flood we're talking about. I've seen some of the images coming out of your direction, and it's just its insane. The Just the volume of water is incredible. Yeah. The Scott Mop was something else, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bloody yeah, Nora. Great okay, Jesus. so so in the height of all seriousness, Harry. I mean, you've you've kind of done it pretty tough over the last few weeks. We're very very glad that you're okay. Um, what's your hobby been doing? Hobby wise, it's been chipping away at the rifle brigade, um, yep. keeping myself busy with the desert, and reminding myself that drier places exist in the world. True. Having said right. that, I did go on a recent foray through my bits box and I doubt anyone listening will be surprised to find that I discovered about a platoon and a half worth of US Marines buried somewhere. So looks like that's next on the list. They were dug um, in. Oh, they were very dug in. <laughs> <laughs> Hiding from an artillery barrage from a spigot mortar, no doubt. <laughs> what, the uh, Japanese heavy mortar that you can now yeah, take? Yeah, the 320 so. mil. Yep. I <laughs> More on that later, folks. Yeah, Petey, Petey, from the, Petey from the Juggernauts is going to be thrilled to know that that's actually, like, you can take that now. And I imagine that you're going to see a lot of those. The The Japanese list in the last two weeks has received quite a nice little boost. But we'll, yeah, because we'll it totally bit. needed one, right, Yeah, Rich? no, I definitely did. Yeah. It was... Guess who's got a print <laughs> file for one of those spigot mortars? Guess who's not surprised? <laughs> All of us. <laughs> All right. Guess who's coming down for a rematch with your jabs? <laughs> nice. I'm going to bring it. videotape bring that. It. Fucking videotape it. All right. Sneaky, talk to me. What's your hobby been like, mate? Oh, um, been putting together uh, some of the uh, pile of shame. Uh, so, US Airborne. Um, You're doing US? Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, th- this, is, this is a project that began as my uh, Panzer Brigade 150 stuff, which was initially just a couple of squads of uh, sneaky, cheesy guys uh, that were part of my German army, and it's just kind of slowly grown uh, uh, to the point where now it is actually an army of its own. Um, yeah, so just putting putting that together, so there'll be um, kind of Bastogne uh, US Airborne stuff one day when, when they're finished, and... Uh, I do like the idea that you have accidentally made yourself an American army. Didn't set out to do it. It just accidentally kind of happened. Yeah, well, it, it, it literally did. So I started off with, like, the um, – because they didn't do the, the – and they still really only do uh, two squads of, of winter Americans. Uh, so I had those, and uh, then I think there was there was a, a cop, one issue of um, War Games Illustrated that had a sprue of Americans on there, and I had – had that because I bought the magazine and uh, somebody was selling a box of the uh, uh, plastic airborne. And I bought that and I'm like, all right, well, shit, suddenly I've got an American army. <laughs> there you go. Now, um, the other, other than that, uh, we're doing a uh, Saga Age of Crusades uh, day at the club on Sunday. So I'm using this as an excuse to finish my Teutonic Knights. Lovely. Army, fantastic. Which is what I'm working on as we're talking. 
I can see everyone. Like, I mean, we've we've got the. Uh, I mean, everyone's got a, a a camera except for me because I'm just poverty stricken. But um, everyone seems to be working on shit at the moment. It's making me feel very guilty. But um, I'm <laughs> well, I'm just going to hit not, it. I'm. I'm go working on. on this glass of wine right now. It looks good. You look very. <laughs> Cheers, sneaky. I'm just smashing down a, a golden axe by Kaiju. I love that the golden axe cider. I'll tell you this: I was trying to send, um, I wanted to send a six pack of this stuff over to a, a friend of ours in the UK, and um, apparently Royal Mail they will let you send wine. They will not let you send um, beer or um, cider. It sucks. Kaiju is from Wellington, aren't they? No, Kaiju's Dandenong, man. The oh, local. Okay. No, there's yeah, there's a bar called Kaiju in Wellington. Yeah, that's yeah, that wouldn't surprise yeah. me. All right, very quickly, I'll hit my hobby. Um, I'm coming to the end of doing the British Airborne. Uh, Rube just printed me some tanks. They're hopefully on their way. They're um, express posted on their way to you as we speak. You're a legend. Um, so yeah, I'm off to. I'm doing the last ten infantry models. Then I got um, there's on my, on my desk right now, which are just waiting for like you know the last few highlights. Yeah, 10 infantry models, two medics, uh, the guy with the umbrella. And then after that, I've got, um, yeah, two medium machine guns, two light machine guns, a light mortar, sorry, two light mortars, and a sniper. And then that's it for the the British Airborne. Uh, Is she done? I've got everything done that I need to do for the next couple of events, uh, which will be Andy Baxter's event and Conquest, which I paid for the other day, uh, which is sneaky. I saw that you paid for it as well, so that's your locked in for that. Well, I, I registered. I haven't paid for it yet, but uh, uh, get on with it, yeah, yeah. Because hey, that's by the way, that's not in Hawthorne. That's in fucking Coburg, son. I know. Did you know that? Yes, I did know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. I'm furious about that because I think I've agreed to fucking pick you up and take you to that. And I'm like, shit, that's my place yeah, to Coburg is a kind of a straight run. But if I've got to deviate down to Elwood, you bastard. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll figure it. We'll figure it out. But yeah. Oh, yeah, well, it's all good. Um, I'll pick you up and I'll have a bacon and egg roll on the passenger seat for you. Um, so, yeah, other than that, um, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a cruisy couple of weeks, actually. It's just been literally just chipping away at some projects and then preparing. I think what I'm going to do after this is done, I'm going to actually sit down and do some terrain. So I haven't done terrain in a while, and I've bought some sprays and bought this, that, and the other, and... I think it's about time I actually painted up all the uh, all the uh, the buildings that I've um, acquired from uh, Viv over the last few years, so I can actually get those on the table and you know looking good. And uh, the last part of my hobby, I actually got a game in the other day against Garrett. Um, Garrett ran quite an interesting list. Uh, Rubes, Hari, you might be aware of this one. Um, it's a German Luftwaffe heavy mortar platoon. <laughs> so it's. There's like four heavy mortars. He had two inexperienced, two regular, two big twelve-man squads. But they were they were regular. But you kill them as inexperienced, and they've got this weird thing where they're fanatic. But if they if they fail an order check, they charge towards the nearest visible enemy and then go down. It's so strange. Like black was black, that out of Black Templar Luftwaffe. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Suffer not the witch to live. Yeah, um, was that out of the market garden book? It's something it like sounds that. like out of the market garden. Book. Yeah, it's it's something like that. He he ran it against me. He was like, "Oh, I'm doing this. I'm thinking about taking this to Andrew's event." And I'm like, "Yeah, no worries." Um, we played a game of sectors, uh, and it was more. It was more for me. It was just blowing out the cobwebs for Garrett. It was more of a just a list building exercise. Uh, but it was a lot of fun to actually play games again. 
and actually roll dice. It was uh, it was really good. So um, oh, it's always good to get back in the swing of things. Yeah, absolutely, it is. So okay. So yeah, that's my hobby. Uh, it's been pretty uh, pretty basic, pretty ordinary. Uh, nothing too extraordinary. Okay, Rubes, you got your two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I'll probably do another two minutes. Oh, uh, okay. I'll, I'll take that challenge. Okay, nobody interrupt him. Nobody make any jokes. Yeah, Rubes, your hobby starts now. All right. So after I printed uh, last of those tanks for you, I um restocked on the resin for my resin printer and I ordered the wrong stuff. So I ordered four litres of clear resin. Unfortunately, it doesn't like to set and cure very well and does not take glue all that greatly. Um, so I haven't done a lot of printing since then. Um, other than that, my hobby has been... Uh, chipped away at some more Dutch and early war FJs very briefly. But I've actually been doing a bit of hobby on non-bolt action stuff. Um, some Team Ooh. Yankee team Yankee stuff. Got a little force finally done. Um, some Ancients. Um, built some Normans. Um, I have built a few th- odds and ends for bolt action to add to existing armies. But uh, actually not a lot of uh, hobby since last time we chatted. Um, still doing a solo game or two on the uh, the games table behind me for uh, that the guys can see. I just realised those at home can't see us, but uh, um, it's not yeah. a visual medium, Rubes. No, I know, I know. Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> you speak for yourself, mate. It's the fact that Hari hasn't got any clothes on. He's just sat yeah. there in like a, yeah. like a so it's like a it's like a neoprene g string. It's not a good look. <laughs> Like a like a, just a, a god sitting there shining, uh, yes, in his uh, hobby lamp. Um, Resplendent is the word yeah. you're looking for. Oiled up, oiled up with the finest of Norn oil. Is that- <laughs> hey, are you strong, Tone? I'm not a heathen. Toronto. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's about it, really. Um, that's a short one for me, I guess. That came in at a minute 52. Well done, mate. And we even interrupted you and made some jokes. So, look, no, I mean, fair dues. It's only been, what, four and a half weeks since our last recording. So, yeah, like, it is what it is. Um, So, yeah, it's been since we recorded last. I mean, it's shit. Can I I add one one last thing to the the hobby thing, the the Redux chapter? My my Uh, landlord is selling my my, uh, apartment. uh, so the weird thing is now I'm like, how do I get people coming through here, poking around in my shit without looking like a complete lunatic? <laughs> you can't. Thank you. This is. I mean, the uh, MDF MP40 and MG34 raise a couple of questions as they hang on the wall there. Yeah. Uh, there's that. The you can't quite see all the the like uh, Pima armor and <laughs> sitting around and uh, yeah. You're you you you're facing the same problem that Robin faced when he was uh, back when he was living in South Yarra and he was single. Um, he used to kind of display all his bolt action stuff, and then all of a sudden he stopped. And we said, you know, what's going on with this? And Robin's the Easter's gone. It's it's kind of hard to explain to a girl if you bring her back here 
curtains. <laughs> so it all, did, <laughs> when, it all went straight to the closet. <laughs> when I lived alone, I um, I, exact same thing. The back half of the house could be separated by a door, and that's where all my hobby stuff stayed. <laughs> and <laughs> no one went to the kitchen or beyond. Straight to the pool room. Straight to the pool room. Straight to the pool room. All right. So um, in regards to worldwide, some pretty awful shit has gone down um since the last recording um yeah basically uh we here at the bacon burgers want to wish everyone in the ukraine well and hope that um you guys get a speedy resolution to the bullshit that's going on and we just want to let you know that we're all right behind you and uh you guys are just doing an amazing job um, in the world of bolt action, I guess something. Oh, I see. The thing is, I want to say something equally as awful, but I mean, it just I'm not going to say that. It's so, it's so, it's horrible. It's a shit thing to say. Uh, we've had an FAQ drop, and um, it's been met with some very mixed uh, responses. Um, I'm going to get Hari to kind of lead us on this journey of um, self discovery. Um, if you want to call it a journey of self discovery, fair enough. Uh, I guess it could be that. Um, I'm going to start at the bottom of the document because there's something here that I know Tristan is very keen to get his teeth into. Go on. So we start with the Mariana and Palau Islands campaign book. Um, Many people will remember that book as being not all too impressive. But here's the thing that you need to sit up and take attention to. So the 320mm Japanese spigot mortar on page 126 doesn't say it can be taken in a generic platoon or any selectors. Yeah, so hang on. Hang on. Before we go any further, sneaky, sneaky, Mm -hmm. listen to the rules on this and, like, and then just start getting onto, like, I don't know, uh, War and Peace, Games, Mighty Ape, you know, because you'll be buying, you will be buying a Japanese army once you hear the rules. for Folks, pull up Easy Army if you're about to uh, listen to this. So, unit entry. 320mm type 98 spigot mortar. 70 points regular, 49 points in experience, 91 points veteran. We have a five-man crew. It's one heavy mortar. You can take a spotter for 10 points. It has the usual special rules of team weapon, fixed, and indirect fire, but here's where it differs. HE, brackets, special. Different from a normal heavy mortar, the spigot mortar uses the four-inch diameter template, but That's wait not the bad part. That's not the bad part. Has a pen value of plus one, and oh, you're wow, probably that's... thinking, why oh. do we take this? Yeah. Because it causes D6 plus two pins. <laughs> Let that one marinate for a second. I'll be right back. I'm just going to start my printer up. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you just hear this noise like a chainsaw in the background. as well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, like a Buick backfiring. D6 plus two. Now, I mean, as far as I can tell, and I'm happy to be wrong, and if I am wrong, please contact the Bacon Burgers and tell me I'm wrong. But there is nothing else. No, no, hear me out. There's nothing else in this game that isn't a heavy fucking tank, a.k.a. the Sturm Tiger or the AVRE or something like that, that does pins at this level. You're absolutely correct. The good thing is, I mean, you can deal with it by just flamethrowing it. You can, <laughs> right? Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! No, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. We haven't, well, no, we haven't, we haven't finished exploring this option yet. So the idea is that D six plus two pins. Now, look, you're still going to need to roll it like a regular mortar, but I mean, if you take dual platoons and take two of these things, I mean, you can potentially pin units off the board in a turn. 
or render them just so useless that they're completely fucked. Like this, this mm. gives you such a psychological edge. In my opinion, this is almost worse than a multiple launcher because if you say, "Well, I'm going to shoot at them," well, I mean, the, the plus one to kill does not phase me at all because that's not where this thing's power lies. It's got a nice big chunky template, but that D6 plus two pins is fucking incredible. Is, I, mean, I mean, yeah, this is the issue, and. Like, this is the issue I have with this unit. Because of the way it interacts with the game, the only... See, the only thing that operates in a similar fashion mm. is the M30 heavy rocket launcher from Ostfront. Now, the thing with that is it only fires three turns out of six. It doesn't because it give once itself, it fires... Doesn't it give it, itself pins? Yeah, it's a multiple launcher. It can take a spotter. But because it's a heavy rocket launcher, when you fire, it takes D3 pins. Mm. So the next turn, you have to take a rally order. Mm. Now, this is a spigot mortar. The only other spigot mortar in the game is the AVRE, and they had to break the barrel to reload that thing. So if you're seriously telling me that a 320-millimeter projectile is firing every turn... Yeah. There's another one, isn't there, in the the home guard? Yes, there is. Um... Hang on, wasn't technically wasn't the Piata Spigot Mortar? Yeah, it was, but I mean, it's already bad joke. We don't. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not fighting you on that. I'm not fighting you on that. Um, Yeah. So the idea is that it's just all the other rules in regards to this thing are fine. The points value is fine. The men crewing it is fine. Everything is good. I'm I'm 100% fine with it. It's just the D6 plus two pins. That is incredible. So this thing does a, approximately the same damage as, like, a Sturm Tiger at how many points? 75. 80, 80 points. Right. To get to a Sturm Tiger's <laughs> level, you need to invest another 400 points. Yeah, sneaky. I just figure you'd take, like, take three platoons, three inexperienced officers, just a shitload of bamboo spear fighters, three of these fucking things, <laughs> a shitload of three snipers and a shitload of bomb sticks. Mate, you, you, your list is oh, steeled up. Hey, Tristan, stop giving Rubes ideas. That's that's not sneaky at all. Don't you worry. (laughs) Rubes doesn't play that. Here's the thing, though. I mean, Rubes doesn't play that way. We all know that. This is is way too nasty for Rubes to take. He's he's too nice to bloke. He's too nice to bloke. This is very true. No, I I do have some of the crazy lists up my sleeve. Just that one occasion, I just want to spring it on someone and just really freak them the fuck out. And bayonet the fuck out of them. Yeah. Yeah, been there, done that, That got the T-shirt, still have the uh, lateral incisions. That was a perfectly historical list, which we will discuss later on. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Here we go. All right. Okay, Okay, so so now we're on. That was the the first boost of the Japanese. Let's keep going. Yep. All right, now we move up to the Western Desert Campaign book. Yep. And so there's a unit within this book called the Alf Clarongs Group. Um, it's a unit of three Kubelwagens, and you can add another two. The problem with this unit has always been that Warlord has never definitively defined how it activates. Is it one unit that has to maintain coherency, activating with one dice and throwing out a half ton of pins? But hang on, hang on. Can, I, can I stop you? So it's three, th- three Kubelwagens, essentially. Yep. What, with, M- with MMGs? Uh, one has an MG, one has a rifle, and I think two have rifles, actually. So what, and then when they get shot, the guys dismount and carry on? No, because it occupies the armoured car slot. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. this uh, is that's... where this is where all the confusion has arisen mm-hmm. from this. And from its inception, it's never been clarified. 
So is the unit not, itself is that not dissimilar to the um, uh, Bren carrier? Uh, the Bren yeah. carrier troop, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think the Bren carriers. I don't think that's listed. No, in the they way. don't operate in a squadron within no. framework of bolt action. No, but as far as Warlord's clarification goes, the question reads. Regarding Alcorong's group on page 93, are the Cooper wagons supposed to be played as a unit of vehicles? Warlord's answer to this is no. They are purchased as presented on the selector, but then play the game as normal separate vehicles. Alternatively, players can choose to use the optional rules on page 217 of the rulebook. So the first thing that leaked out is that Warlord haven't said, haven't defined how many order dice this unit uses. Does it use one? Does it use multiple? Does it generate multiple? There's no clarification whatsoever, so we're still operating in a grey area. Yeah, it's you don't. I, I'm not a fan of grey areas. I either want you know yes or no. I don't want maybe. Yeah. Or go and you know if you want do this, but if you also want do this as well. That uh, to me reads as something that. I mean, it almost needs a community instituted ruling. Here's the thing. Though, I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give them props. It's an interesting concept. I just don't think it's been thought through all that well. No. And from what we found out late after the release of Western Desert, a lot of these units were written specifically for scenarios to be played within garage games. Yeah. So a certain amount of flexibility would have been built into them when they wrote those to allow for an ease of use, Mm. I'm assuming. Um, But, yeah, that's about all I can really say on that one. Mm. It's just another level of confusion to an already confused unit entry. Uh, look, I mean, you know, just chalk it up to all the other shit that we're confused about in regards to this game and all that move forward. What else you got? Yeah, the list goes on. All right, Battle of the Bulge. Um, yeah. So Battle of the Bulge introduces the late war French to us, which are essentially French wearing American uniforms. No, so, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. It is just Americans who have a fondness for cheese, wine, and surrender. Yeah, yeah. Look, I kind of. Yeah, look, it's harder to make that argument after beer came, but you know, I'm a stickler for you know that kind of stuff. Anyway, so a lot of people noted that the the American tanks that the French have don't have stabilizers. So Warlord has simply added this to clarify. A note on gyro stabilizers: if you play the French from this book, you'll have to pay the points for the gyro stabilizer as you take the unit from the Armies of the United States book. The question is, do the free French forces get the gyro-stable special rule as they have to pay the points for it, or do they simply pay 10 points more for a US Lend-Lease veteran tank than what the Soviets and British do? The answer to this is they do get the special rule as well, but at the end of the day, if you wanted to play a late-war French list for the love of God, pick up armies of the United States, forget Bulge exists, and just run them as Americans, yeah, just you get more benefit out of it. Yeah. I, mean, it I mean, completely. I mean, you just if you're going to run late-war French and play it from that angle... You're essentially going to have Americans that just don't work quite as well. It's like, it's like when the Hungarian PDF came along and everyone was just like, yeah, just do that. But, I mean, if you want to play it, you might as well just play crappier Germans. Um, and then, you know, we actually then started to get some movement on the you know the Hungarians and they actually got looked after quite well um, thanks to some American uh, authors. Uh, American, Australian. Jesus, what am I even talking about? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's way was... to insult the community that's contributed the most to the, commu- to the entire community. I wholeheartedly and sincerely apologize genuinely um 
Yeah, look, I, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So as we progress up the document, we get to D-Day Overlord and oh, everyone's yeah. favourite free unit, the Forward Naval Observer. Well, it's not free, is it? Come on. No, it's not free. Um, and they the initial it. appearance of this unit allowed you to upgrade your British, your free British Observer to a Naval Observer for the cost of 50 points. To Which was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Basically upgraded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you went from an average British man running around with a map to a basically an artillery officer from 40k. Yeah. Just flipping tanks as you pleased. So they've changed it to they've upped the cost. It's now 180 points for a regular one, 195 is, for a veteran one. Which is which is kind of in line with what you pay for a yeah. special character, if I'm if I'm correct if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, more or less. Um, so you're paying a what, premium for it. Like it's, it's yeah, a lot of money. For what now. this unit brings for, to the table, you absolutely should. Mm. They've also changed the cost of the free observer to upgrade to enable for 80 points, which again yeah, is fair enough. Yeah, it's Although, fair enough, but also you're never going to see it. Like, yeah, that's it. I mean, naval observers, in, at least in our meta anyway, are the boogeyman. Like, you know, everyone hears yeah. about them, but you never see them. So, whatever. I mean, the whole point of a free unit is you take it because it incurs no additional cost. Why Absolutely. in God's name you'd go and upgrade it and turn it into a gigantic bullet magnet? I have no idea. Well, you know, because maybe you, maybe you enjoy that kind of thing. Who knows? Well, yeah, maybe some of us are insane and make really poor tactical choices that we hear about six years later. Yeah. We will never know. Just um, over and over and over. Yeah. Over. They've also changed a couple of the sentences. So on a roll of two, three, or four, the near miss causes yeah, superficial yeah. damage yep. rather than flipping the vehicle. Yeah. Um, damage results on vehicles are now at a neg three. Yeah. And on a five or six, the vehicle flips over, which renders no, it useless and no, destroyed. No, no, It's now on a six, the vehicle is flipped. Two to two to five. Ah, uh, yeah. I was missing. I was reading the wrong yep. Yep. paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now okay. instead of flipping it on a five or a six, it's a six. Yeah. So you got. I mean, yeah. Like they've they've given it a nice little nerf. They've given it a points increase. Well, I got no issues with that at all because at the end yeah. of the day, it is the fucking boogeyman. But having said that, now that we've seen a bit of a nerf to it, who knows? You know, we may Rube, see them. We may. Rubes, we Rubes may. Rubes might bring four of them four of them to an event. I don't know. We're just running. <laughs> A twelve hundred and fifty point platoon with four naval observers. Printer go and watch him get top table. Rubes, what do you what, what have you given your printer a name? Is it a female name? See, I've got three printers, and I think by naming any one of them would make the other two jealous. <laughs> Mother of dragons. Mother <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> we speak no, 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 Rubes, mother of no, princes. Yeah, Rubes, Rubes calls himself Daenerys, and he just gets around in a blonde wig and a really wispy outfit, and then calls, <laughs> calls all three of the princes. Was it Drogo? That's, that's um, Saturday nights. Oh, oh shit! It's boys. It's Saturday night. What? Oh, sorry, it's Friday night. Thank Christ for that. Yeah, we are blessed. What? She's uh, is, is is the outfit down at the dry cleaners? Is it Rubes? Tune in tomorrow night to find out. Yeah, oh, pass. I'm camping. I'm going to be camping. I'm working. There you go. All right. Sneaky, now sneaky, we're you're in... gonna, sneaky, you're going to take a bullet. you got to take the yeah. bullet. <laughs> I took one of Badgicon. You're going to take one this time. No, you took a you... bayonet. I was going to say you didn't take a bullet. You took a bayonet. <laughs> don't want to know. What so I've now taken. we get to, hey. You don't want to know what I've taken in my time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So now we get to the FAQ section. So Armies of Italy and the Axis. This one I 
I think it's a little unnecessary. They've taken a backhanded nerf to the Romanians. Oh, so can the Romanian army take a heavy anti-tank gun for free using the French artillery doctrine? No, they can only have light or medium artillery units. This one I don't that's, agree with. That's in line with the French artillery doctrine. It is in line, but in saying that, they've taken away a part of the Romanian flavour and there wasn't that much to begin with in the first yep, place. She was a pretty, pretty flavourless slice. Like, seriously, this is kicking a lame horse. Leave them alone. Mm-hmm. Let them take it. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, if they bring a heavy anti-tank gun, fine. Yeah, but I mean, it's. I mean, it, the thing is, I mean, I mean, I'm right there with you. If they're going to bring a heavy anti tank gun, let him get on with it. Because at the end of the day, I mean, it's only ever going to be as good as a medium howitzer, or it's going to do like pop holes in tanks. Yeah, like they don't really, as far as I understand it, the Romanians don't really have a heck of a lot to deal with big armor. Am I correct in saying that? By and large, their units can take one Panzerfaust. Ooh, yeah, see, that's that's tasty, but you've got to get close enough to use it. I yeah. don't know. Um, I don't, you know, I'm going to be quiet on this one. I'm going to abstain because I don't have enough information about the yeah. Romanian army Look, to make it. We don't see enough Romanian armies on the table as it is. I really, you know, my two cents on this is they shouldn't have done it. Let yeah. them keep a bit of flavor. Okay, so it's not in line with the French rule or, you know, the Belgian rule or the Netherlands yeah. Dutch rule. I Fair enough. Know. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as if they were like some sort of wild OP army that everyone was just yeah. clamoring to get. Like, there's nothing remotely intimidating about a this um, this, this Romanian reeks list. Me, this reeks to me of somebody who's rocked up either to an event or a club day or something. They've played against the Romanian and they've used that gun to to good effect. Yeah, since then got the shits up and going. It's not fucking fair. Why do you get to take a fucking heavy ambulance gun? I'm going to go and bitch to warlord, and then they have something like this put in place, and then all of a sudden, congratulations, you've you know cut the whiskers off uh, off you know an otherwise pretty ordinary kind of force. I mean, the Romanians yeah. are, and there's not there just is not enough there. But anyway, whatever. Yep. Whatevs. All right. What else we got? Okay. So. Do heavy and super heavy artillery get a six-inch move when dismounting a toe? Or do they have to drop exactly behind the toe because on a normal run move they cannot move? They get the six-inch... What's a toe, Hari? Yeah, well, as of... We don't need toes? Yeah, as of the previous vehicle. Previous vehicle? Previous document. Yeah, It's been a long week, hasn't it, mate? Oh, it's been a long couple of weeks. That's true. Um... So to preface this, I'll jump into an older section of the FAQ. If a heavy or super heavy artillery piece is not deployed, like in scenarios where everything starts off the map, and the army does not include a tow-slash-towing vehicle, does it mean the artillery piece cannot enter the battle? Is it lost, like reserves that fail to enter? I'll stop you there. I'll stop you there. Hari. uh, Sorry, not Hari. Uh, Sneaky, Mm -hmm. what's your ruling on that? Well, if you if you don't buy a tow for your fucking gun, is it is it coming on the board or is it what what's it doing? Well, I like to call this new rule the tow cutter. <laughs> <laughs> a fuel injected suicide machine. <laughs> uh, non Australians probably won't get that because they haven't taken the fuel into the wasteland. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Look, I, I think that was a rule that made sense. I mean, I felt bad about about doing that in a club game I would wouldn't ever do it but um you know that uh, difference between a 10 point 
horse toe and uh, losing 180 points of Flak 88. Well, you've got to think about that. Indeed. And not I, to mention losing a prospective barbecuing target. Yes. I, right. I I just want to see I want to see the the five sturdy Germans who are actually dragging around a Flak 88 and deploying it by hand. I've stood next to one. I've stood next yeah. to a couple of them. They they weigh seven fucking tons. They're yeah, huge. that's what I'm getting at. Like there's yeah yeah like a twenty five pounder. I mean, like I'm not saying it to be funny, but the four of us could could muscle around a twenty five pounder. I mean, I I can see us doing it for about fifteen minutes, and me and Sneaky will go, "This is fucking shit," and mm. we'll have this sit down, sneak you, get the vape out. I'll just, you know, call Nikki and say, you know, can you get one of the boys to come over and give us a hand? But but we could do it, is what I'm getting at. There's no way we're ever going to move a Flak 88, let alone deploy the fucking thing. Uh, well, that's the I, thing. I, I five, the five guys that can lift up a Pack 43 on a cruciform man. Mm. I mean, even that has you look, no at, wheel. Look at, you look at, like, Napoleonic or American Civil War cannons, and you think, that thing doesn't look too big. But they took like t- fucking six horses to move them around. Yeah, they've had mm. fucking heavy as shit. So, yeah, so you, can, you can manhandle it back into position after it fires. Maybe. And that's about it. That's about it. Yeah, but you're not going to move it, you know, sort of like, you know, 200 meters, you know, up a, up a battlefield, then deploy the fucking thing and start pegging away at people. Nope. You're going to move it 200 meters up a battlefield, then die of a hernia. And then wait for you know wait for sixteen other guys to come along give you a hand. It's just look. I guess the only way that I can sort of bring myself to sort of accept that is thinking that you know the tow did come on, it's deployed them, and then it's you know unlimited, and then it's you know fucked off magically. Yeah, and that's Warlord's rationale. That's yeah, it's as per their answer. You know, we will make an exception to the rules in this case, allowing heavy and super heavy artillery guns that start off the table and have no tow a single six inch move when they enter the table as first label from reserve, but no out flanking. Imagine that a horse-drawn limber or vehicle has towed them to the very edge of the table and then hastily retreated. Who who's out who who is out flanking a gun? Please tell, tell me the person who's out flanking with like a twenty-five or a pack forty or who's doing that? Okay, that's uh, listeners. That's the next challenge. Double platoon, take two eighty-eights and outflank them both. Hang on, it's happened. It's happened. Um, Dinh Bien Phu, the uh, the Vietnamese hauling uh, those guns this is up, true. up the side of the mountain. Uh, that was something that no one expected. Yeah, hang yeah. on. No, 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 I'm saying who does that in a game? <laughs> like, please, t- t- tell me the person who'd like, like I've played plenty of bolt action. Nobody at any stage has ever decided to outflank with their artillery piece. Or their I can only think of one player who would potentially consider outflanking an 88, and I'm looking at him right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not an 88, but maybe like a Japanese heavy gun with a bayonet attached to it would be perfect Ooh. for him. Rolling yeah, down a slope and just piercing something at the bottom. Okay, yeah. you can you can print a model of that Japanese. It looks like an eighty-eight, but it's a Japanese eighty-eight. There's a print one got, of those with yeah Japanese with a giant bayonet on the end of it. Ninety mil um, gun they had. Uh, I could print one yeah. of those and attach. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, right. I, I think that's just in line with acknowledging the fact that it's fucking stupid having heavy artillery on the board anyway. Yes, um, I agree. Well, this is true. Even even mortars, if we're going to be somewhat realistic, your mortar support isn't even on the board with the side. Yeah, but again, but again, hang on, sneaky. We're not. This isn't a simulator. That's Hence the reason this isn't. Yeah. This yeah. isn't chain of command. This is what I've always said: is that bolt action is Hollywood. Nineteen forty-two K. 
Yeah. And this is it. Like, when it comes down to it, like, you know, it's, this is not supposed to be a historically accurate simulator. And I guess, you know, maybe I'm a little bit hypocritical because I'm here saying, show me the, you know, the fucking five or six blokes who can drag an 88 on. Well, you know, maybe they're all like that, you know, that big guy who gets his head buzzed off in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaky knew exactly where it was going as soon as I started saying that. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, um, so we get to the top of the FAQ section, and go. this is where the eyebrows start jumping. So the question that has been posed to Warlord, flamethrowers ignore the Fnatic special rule because they're forced to take a morale check regardless of models lost with all negative modifiers to morale applied. But units with the stubborn rule ignore all modifiers to morale when making a morale test. Am I right in understanding that units with the stubborn special rule are far less likely to route from flamethrowers than fanatic units who would normally fight to the last man? Warlord's answer to this is, the morale test caused by flamethrowers simply overrules the 50% casualties rule, but the fanatics ignore the test for taking casualties altogether as long as there's two of them left, so fanatics do not take tests when attacked by a flamethrower. Now, initially... I kind of, I had a very strong knee-jerk reaction to this because all I could think of was it's just going to hand a massive advantage to, say, the Japanese list, uh, certain Russian selectors. There's, uh, you know, uh, a lot of late-war German lists that will perhaps run uh, sneaky and no better than I would. Things like Hitler Youth and SS. You know, things that, you know, armies that have large instances of fanatic. Um, there are fanatic smattered through every, you know, I mean, the British have got the, S- the SAS, I think they're fanatic. Yep. Um, Finns have got Cacapadios, they're fanatic. But the thing is, though, it's kind of one of those things where, like, you now have flame-resistant Japanese. Big- oh, look, can I, can I offer, offer an insight into the, the thing with the, the German army, right? For the Go. most part, they have FAQ'd that, so certainly with the SAS, you can choose to be fanatic. They are not automatically fanatic, and that sure. boost costs three points a man. Yeah, it's How big. How many people ever took it once? No, once that's that it stopped, exactly. Right. Once that stopped being native uh, to the to the list, you stop yeah. seeing it, right? <laughs> so I, I'm I'm actually with uh, with some of our uh, fellow countrymen and uh, their analysis that this is a big fat nothing for us because it's one hundred percent. I have never seen that uh, all bamboo spear fighter list, and I have never seen anybody take more than two flamethrowers. And this is and this is kind of what I'm getting at is because I'm like I I was I will follow the conversation that you had with um, uh, Alistair Omnir Uni whatever the fuck his name is Crom from Scotland, mm. where you know I mean he is correct in saying that our meta is different and that we don't see that kind of stuff and yeah that is 100% correct maybe for others uh, the communities and other metas um that you know maybe would see this kind of shit that's going to have like a like a bigger impact but the other thing is i mean i mean look flame is a great way to you know get rid of something but alternatively it's also a really good way to run up kill two guys run out of fuel and then just watch them march silently on you know their merry way mm-hmm. so i i mean initially like you, I had the same strong knee-jerk reaction of yeah. this is a mistake. But the more we talked about it and the more I thought about it, the more I went, This is a so thing. what? Yeah. I mean, as someone who runs late-war German lists and who runs SS, mm. 
I don't take Fnatic because I'm not shelling out another three points per bloke for a list that is already going to be cash-strapped to yep. get stuff into it. Yep. So, okay, I didn't have an incentive from a cost point. Now I don't have an incentive from a rules point. Or I do have an incentive, but I'm still not going to take it. And this is the same because thing. Because at the with... end of the day, if I'm taking a unit of SS, okay, say I take eight men. Yep. I can take them as regular or I can take them as veteran. But either way, I'm still shelling out an additional 24 points to get them to be fanatic. Yeah. Well, that 24 points can be better used as upgrades or padding out other units or getting an entire an entire order dice in the list. Exactly right. And that's, I mean, it's a, it's it's also the same thing with, say, the Kakapadios. Uh, the Kakas are great. Don't get me wrong. And now they're, like, you know, slightly flame-proof. But I'll tell you what, I like, I played the Finns for, you know, nearly two years. And the number of times I lost the Kakapadios to a, a flamethrower, I could probably count that number on one hand, and I wouldn't need all my fingers. And I probably mm. wouldn't. Like it, what I'm getting at is, if it doesn't, it doesn't really happen. People yeah, generally, it's put, a, you know, it's a non-issue because by the time is. you bring the Kako on from your opponent's table edge, yeah, their flamethrower is already halfway up the board. Yeah, it's doing. So other it's going to have to do some leg work to get back if it wants yeah. to. Yeah, normally, normally they park a squad like you know that you that they know what you're going to go after, whether it's yeah. an objective or that big artillery piece, they'll then dedicate a couple of assets. The idea of that asset then being a fucking flamethrower, because it's very easy then to come on from outside of that flamethrower's, um, you know, six inches and just literally cook the flamethrower. Mm. Because the flamethrower from there, for, for my money, is a tastier target. Now, yeah. that's, that's an interesting thing you should you should say, because I, I was looking at um, some options for the Bastogne selector. Yeah. Uh, and this was based on a conversation I think you and I had, Harry, about um, what American units can have more than ha- have two or more BARs in in the unit. Um, so I gather there are some Marine ones that do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only like, one, yeah. The only one I could find in the Bastogne selector or any of the Bulge ones are engineer units. Yep. And I'm like, yeah. they're also the only unit that can have a flamethrower. Yeah, like, they're nice. Yeah, but you don't want to waste that sitting down the, the back of the board. No, but I, I mean, mean the idea no, is... You don't, but the problem I've often had with German lists is everyone who's seen the stuff that I post on the group knows that I like big cats and I like selling them, even though I refuse to sell that elusive 15th Panther to Root. Ooh. The thing is... <laughs> That's the thing is... <laughs> a linchpin of that list is an engineer unit and quite often when you run a big cat you don't have the points for a transport unless you want to take a heavy field car but why would you i i, you, I have i have multiple of them i love them i think they're the best engineer delivery vehicle because oh they're great exactly the problem i have with them is i run i tend to run these lists quite themed so transports aren't always a feature an engineer unit is a veteran squad and with a big cat list you need all three of your infantry squads to be doing work from the moment they hit the board so the engineer unit in the u.s list that can take the two bars it's actually not that bad for a 10 for 10 points yeah it's amazing you get four shots that ignore the movement penalty and you're you're hitting out at 30 inches of range there you go if you're on fine if you're in a transport great but you can only take one and it's the only unit that can have two BARs. So as a backline defense unit... You don't use it for that. I know you wouldn't, but I was looking for what can I do to put two 
Um, oh, multiple BAR units that are yeah. reg- mm. regular rather than veteran. This and back backline okay. defense units because this this, this stems from a conversation that you had in regards yeah. to list building on the Americans. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you want to be able to find a squad that can take multiple BARs, sit on the back line, and literally keep the enemy at a distance and make sure that by the time they get to you, they've got a couple of pins. You've chiselled them down a bit while your you know your veteran tough fighters are up doing the business. Yeah, no, I yeah. get where you are yeah. now. I mean, I ran into the same thing when I was building this Marine list, but fortunately, regular Marine squads can take three BARs. So yeah, that's it's filthy. That conundrum was quite quickly solved. Um, I, I came very but just looking at the to... just looking I... at the selector. I do see the problem. Yeah, it's... I came very close to buying a Marine army on uh, Facebook the other day, but someone pitched me at the post. It was a really good deal too. Who was selling that? Uh, I can't wasn't me. Who, can't remember who it was, but it went quick. Um, my phone ran out of batteries, and by the time I charged it up, it was gone. Oh, yeah, it was like that's the one that got away. Hundred and twenty bucks looked like a really good deal. Really? Damn. Yeah, that would have been good. All right, Ari. Anything is there? So we're we're basically calling the flameproof fanatics. It's a bit of a I mean, at least as far as our meta is concerned, it's a bit of a non-event. It doesn't. Yeah. It's gonna, it doesn't got the legs. It's a non-starter, yeah. really. And beyond that, the FAQ, it's just a few errata changes. Um, there's nothing startling here. Yeah, I, I believe that. Could, sorry, I sneaky. You could say it's a uh, it's a uh, paper tiger. Oh, oh you're a weak folks. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> We're now um, standing 19 inches away from this tiger. Therefore, it is not a tiger. Oh, ridiculous! Absolutely ridiculous. This is um. I had um. Was it Nick Beatty? Was we send this one out to Nick Beatty? Yeah, what well on Nick Beatty? <laughs> um. Yeah, I think that um. I think it's one of those things. It's just kind of a non-event, but you know, it is what it is. I'm sure that uh. Oh, good lord! I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure when they sat down and wrote this, they thought they were on to something Maybe. that was intellectually stimulating, perhaps for the European community, but for us, I don't really see anything coming out of it. Yeah. There's no there's nothing there that incentivizes a drastic shift in the way the community as a whole views the game. So well, the thing is you can, I mean you say community as a whole. We are I mean it's it's so different. The thing is, like, we've been talking, I've been talking We're about a bubble. We are a bubble, but, I mean, I think everywhere is its own little bubble. It's just that other bubbles seem to bubble into each other every so often because you've got the Scots, the Welsh, then you've got WTC. The Americans seem to be in their own little bubble, but I imagine... Yeah, but, I mean, the difference is with there. the European bubbles is they can bubble for a couple of hours and they've bubbled across three different communities. If exactly I bubble right. for a couple of hours, I'm still in... Que- I'm still in... New- he <laughs> said it. He said it. He said it. He's a Queenslander. Yeah, folks. <laughs> Jesus, there we go. Queenslander. Harry's Nail in the coffin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If I battle for a couple of hours, I'm still in New South Wales. Nail in the forex. Yeah. Oh. You are still you're still Lord Humongous of the Wasteland. Yeah. There's no real getting away from it. Yeah. But right. yeah, as far as the FAQ goes, that's all she wrote, folks. Yeah. Um yeah. you know, go home and dream of flameproof Japanese if you want. We'll all think you're weird for doing it. Juggernaut Pete will. Be, he would, he would, he would have, he would have stroked himself to sleep quietly that night, just going, ah, oh, they're just so much better now. 
Jesus. But good on him. Um, look, uh, I want to take this before we hit a break. Um, I want to I want to address a pretty savage rumor. Uh, the rumor is this: um, according to internet sources, aka um, top flight individual Ken Welsh, who's done some amazing investigative reporting, uh, apparently the bacon burgers and the juggernauts hate each other. Um, <laughs> which I gotta be honest, it was news to me. I was very surprised. Um, I even reached out and spoke to the Juggernauts directly. And, um, yeah, Ken, love you, boy, but uh, no idea what you're talking about. We we love those guys. And, uh, Frank, Speak I just want yourself. to let you... Those rapscallions deserve a good thrashing, in my opinion. <laughs> you, sell wow, Rube, you, somehow, you somehow aged 40 years saying Who's, that. Yeah. He, he, sounds, he sounded like Bob Catter, didn't he? <laughs> just... <laughs> no, see, the difference there is, Tristan, he sounded sane. It's true. Yeah, very true. Um, and I just want to let uh, Frank Taylor know that uh, the Bacon Burgers are all in the process of changing our names uh, to something that sounds like our names but isn't quite our names. Anyway, um, oh, Jesus, what a section. What a, what, a, what, a, what a saga. So, yeah, the FAQ, um, as far as I'm concerned, it hasn't changed a whole lot. Now, the only thing I think which is going to really cause a rumble will be the Japanese spigot mortar, and I believe that will cause a rumble because if a TO is not on his, um, basically, is if he isn't if he isn't on the ball, uh, that is one that can sneak past quite quickly. Yeah, because that's just that is going to slide in, and they're going to go, oh no, so it's a heavy mortar, it'll be fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, if you get even remotely lucky with that over, you know, five games, Jesus, that can in, do some fucking word, damage. In mortal words of Marvin the Martian, earth-shattering kaboom. <laughs> the thing is, I love the fact that it is the earth shattering kaboom. Yeah, it doesn't really do a heck of a lot of damage, but it's just the blind terror that your units have to go through. I mean, mm. I mean, imagine that. Like, you know, you you like, okay, I'm going to aim at you with this. Do you want to go down? Nah, go on, roll your six. Ah, shit, there's the six. All right, fair enough. Go on then. Roll for you know, roll for hits. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not even roll for hits anymore, is it? Because it's a fucking template. So, well, it's, yeah, it's just it's roll for your pins. Oh, great, there's another six. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. But in saying like in saying that, for its cost, it is quite intimidating as to what it can it's do. It's cheap. It's cheap but, for what it can do. Yeah. Warlord does make the point in the unit entry that it primarily didn't cause damage to US Marine units. It was the psychological impact of the weapon. Oh, yeah. so and I think from I think from that perspective, they've done a really good job of simulating that. No, no issues with that. I'm just it's the it's the cost and the pins. That's the only thing that I'm sort of. I think D six plus two is just a bit strong. Yeah, more pins than a Sturm Tiger for Christ's sake. That's ridiculous. Like that should like. The, yeah, yeah. The Sturm Tiger is like is is the is the granddaddy. Like that you roll I mean, that thing out. I mean, it's hilarious. But oh yeah, like it's hilarious until it derps and hits something, and then you go, yeah. oh fuck. Yeah. Oh, but oh, wild. In saying, you know. In mentioning the Sturm Tiger, I think we sort of loop back to what Sneaky was saying, where you shouldn't see heavy artillery on the table. You shouldn't see Sturm Tigers on the table. The only thing you should really know about a Sturm Tiger's presence is when the city block you're standing in front of just collapses, apropos of yeah, nothing. 100%. Actually, uh, look, the other thing I'd say about that, right, is that um, it's, it's costing and its relative damage output is probably in line with uh, Marines versus Japanese armies, but they haven't costed it against the European theatre armies and balanced it 
on as on its relative merits in in that sense, you know, because yeah. mm. there's not a lot of heavy armor, there's not a lot of heavy artillery uh, in the Pacific theater, and so they've gone. Well, we need we need to have some big big scary thing. Yeah, yeah but the Japanese there. didn't. The Japanese didn't need another big scary thing. The Japanese are, are, are on on their own is a big scary thing. I mean. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not making that up. They are no, it's like, genuinely the like, Japanese are a pretty difficult list to get rid of at the best of times. Well, that's the thing. When you sit down against you know a German or an American or a British list, you're going, okay, Americans, they're going to have an easy time hitting me. British, yep. their units individually have strong rules. Germans, okay, there's going to be a lot of automatic firepower coming towards me, but I know I can shift them at the end of the day. Yep. When you sit down against the Japanese, you go, I've got to hit every dice I roll. To get rid your, of one squad, or in your case, you think you, you look at the you look at the unit, you know, the the army across from you, and go, "Good lord, that's a lot of bayonets." I mean, yeah. that is a gargantuan number of bayonets. I will attribute who, that who, game to the reason being the reason behind why I sold my Saipan Japanese list. I just <laughs> looked at the number of bayonets, got PTSD, and went, "Fuck it, I'm selling them." I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> Was that the one you right. bought off you? Oh, f- I think we followed this line. Yeah, you fool, (laughs) fucking fool. All right, boys. I think we'll, um, Rubes. If you want to lead us out on this one, because we've actually got a, we'll take a break. Uh, I think we've got some few uh, cool messages coming up, and then uh, listeners will be back with. uh, Well, I'll be back with uh, some special guests, some cousins from across the other side of this great land of ours as we explore uh, the meta around Australia. So uh, excellent. enjoy the break and we will be back soon. Uh, be able less words. <laughs> be He's butchered the fuck out of it. Mate, I've been up since 4.30 this morning. So. Folks, we'll be back after these messages. We'll see you, you soon. <laughs> All right, and welcome back to the Bacon Burgers. Uh, you're here with uh, Wild Blue Cheese, a.k.a. Rubes, and uh, I am joined by uh, two cousins from across the other side of this great land of ours, uh, gents. Uh, welcome to the Bacon Burgers. Uh, you'd uh, like to let the listeners know who and where you are? G'day, my name is Daniel. Uh, we're in Perth, WA. Uh, yes, yeah, a long way away from where you guys are, but... but uh, but yeah, we uh, resided in Perth for most of my time here, and I'm here with Jacob. So um, yeah, so Dan and I are pretty much uh, some of the community leads for Bolt Action in Perth. Uh, you may have heard our voices before. We're also on a Bolt Action podcast called the uh, Historical and Miniature Gamers Podcast, which is primarily focused on Bolt Action as well. Um, I've been gaming i started my entire gaming career with bolt action tried a few other games since but really this is this is my home uh it's my favorite rule set um and yeah we've been dan and i together have been uh supporting bolt action with some healthy events a very cool uh gaming club that we both are a part of the rockingham historical gamers and that's also been focused on bolt action for a number of years we play a number of other systems as well, but it just seems that um, bolt action is the core thing that brings us all together as gamers here in Perth, and it's a really strong, healthy scene. 
Fantastic. Um, now, speaking of which, I mean, uh, COVID's obviously impacted the world all the way around and with events. Uh, I know on the East Coast, a lot of events uh, didn't go ahead in the past couple of years. Um, I'm, am I right in assuming you guys are fairly right? I mean, my understanding of Western Australia, not having been there, is it's already Mad Max. Um, so, you know, it is already the Wastelands. Is that correct? 100%. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think there's... Um, uh, Probably we we one of the benefits of being so distant in Perth um, sometimes comes into play. Uh, you know, often we wait the longest for postage and packaging, um, and we often pay towards the top end of it. But in the instances with COVID, we were quite um, blessed. Mixed, uh, obviously, opinions across the different places and people, but. The, the reality was that we had very little restrictions. Um, very, we had a couple of weeks where it was, uh, yeah, where it was okay. Yep, only one person every, you know, two square meters, uh, which pretty much killed most of our hobby stores having people in to play games, um, which was similar to what was happening around the world. But um, after about two or three weeks, I think it was, um, we had flattened the curve as they called it uh, and and that meant that things started opening back up again so we were in this weird space where we were allowed to do things um, where other people weren't yeah and um, fortunately for bolt action that never really restricted any major events that we had the only kind of restrictions that came in were every once in a while we might not be able to go to our local gaming store but um, all the big bolt action events still happened. Uh, and when restrictions were on, most people were gaming at people's garages anyway. So we didn't really see a downturn in people playing. Uh, in the initial lockdown, we did do a bit of uh, tabletop simulator. And that was good to actually get some crossover with people we wouldn't normally play. Um, but for the most part, it hasn't really hit the bolt action scene. And a lot of stuff has still been happening in Perth. Fantastic. Now, um, now Perth is quite a long way from the East Coast, so I'm just looking at Google Maps here. It's about a 36-hour drive from Melbourne to Perth for our um, international listeners. It's about, what, 3,200 kilometres as the crow flies, give or take, um, which is quite a hike. Um, for the scene over there, what do you find that a lot of players are travelling great distances to get to games? I think... Um like Jacob was saying, there's there's a fair bit of garage gaming that goes on as standard. Um, lots of silos of people um, that are around. When it comes to events, um, I've been primarily the the main TO in WA that has helped run or run events. And um, we have had people driving um, essentially upwards of 45 minutes uh, to get to events, um, uh, depending on where they want to go. Uh, most of Perth is connected on um one of our main freeways essentially that basically connects the north and the south pretty straight so our main venues actually sit very close to that uh, that main freeway which means that we probably are seeing a bit more spread uh, of people coming than what might be in other places um, there's also the, the reality that we've only actually got a couple of venues in Perth that would um, that, are, that are easily suitable and flexible for what we want to do um, or have had historic uh, events and stuff with us. I suppose that kind of helps to uh, become a bit of a focal point for uh, for people wanting to run events or attend events then. Yeah, definitely. So we've got one of our uh, longest running clubs that has been around, which is uh, our Outpost 6030 group. Um, and 
that that club has been a long time well established and has been in our South Perth community hall for um, uh, numerous years, a um, couple of different places they've been in, but that predominantly because it's it's almost, uh, I guess, towards the centre of Perth, so it's a, quite a nice equidistant location for a lot of our big pieces and, and events. Um, some of our smaller ones generally start to hit up the local hobby stores uh, for those specific areas that they're around. So, Fantastic. Um, now, I know WA has got a slightly lesser population number-wise than the East Coast. Um, what, what sort of numbers are we looking at here for the community? Um, I don't know if this is anything to go off. Um, I would imagine it, last time I looked that we're probably a little bit over 300 or so members on Facebook for the Bolt Action Perth group. Um, at, I would say at any given time, we're probably communicating with a good, say, 100 or so active people that are either split in these kind of silos geographically that might be two hours away from each other. Um, at any kind of given event, Dan's a better person to ask from this, but my general feeling is, is 30 players is, is kind of where we land on our larger stuff. Very nice. Um, unfortunately, uh, sometimes Victoria, the denser population means more clubs, more events and, um, wider spreads of game systems, I suppose. So yeah, we, we sort of range from the, the small events of, you know, 10 to 12 players through to. So 24 sort of players. So it's really uh, positive to hear that WA's got such a uh, such a strong community for bolt action. Yeah. yeah. So, so one sorry. of the things. Sorry, I was just going to say one of the one of the tough things about events is that all of, a lot of our players are interested in quite a few systems, and and it tends to be that we have these big events at a at a larger convention or a large event that's also hosting Warhammer and other, other systems as well. Uh, and it can get a little bit tricky to pick and choose what you're going to play that weekend. Um, but we seem to get consistent numbers at every event. Um, but that, that's all thanks to Dan because he puts together some great packs. Well, I'm, look, I'll, it, some of this is a community effort, but um, we, we comfortably average at the moment between 20 and 30 players um, across our events. Uh, some of, again, some of the smaller ones in stores due to size limits and stuff, we may only have, yeah, close to the sort of 10. Um, but because we... <laughs> I worked with one of the other TOs who runs the um, some of the stuff happening at the Outpost Club, and I said, right, well, let's not override each other. Let's make sure we schedule our events and sort of bounce off one another and help grow the same subset of people. Um, and that's worked really, really well. But then he moved to Canada before COVID started, <laughs> and then he was stuck in Canada. <laughs> so, um, uh, it, and obviously, I still helped him um, you know, he would design the packs. I'd run them on the day uh, and and do things there for Outpost. But um, that meant that we had um, a consistent person, which was largely myself, as a touch point across all of our events for a good two years. And that has meant that we've had a really strong community feedback loop as to what our players actually want to see, what we want to try. Um, so I've been able to have that communication and, and even get a few other people on the side um, running some of those smaller events just so the weight of the world isn't just on my shoulders. Nice. Now, um, that kind of leads me on to the next question, and it's one that's kind of dear to my heart. Are you finding more narrative play or uh, more of the tournament-style play is popular over there? And I'm hoping you say narrative because I love my storytelling. 
Yeah, well, um, <laughs> you know, and, and Jacob, I think, has probably a similar view from a player side, but definitely from a tournament organiser side um, and what we have had feedback for and things coming forward. Um, the narrative and the, I guess, the historically narrative-driven events are far more popular. Um, now, they, they don't always suit everyone's cup of tea. We definitely do have a subset of our group uh, that prefer a bit more of the competitive drive and, and like, yeah, okay, bring your A game, bring your A game list and let's let, let's roll the dice and smirk down. I don't mind a game like that every now and then. Um, but by far, if I was going to categorize with a bit of a, a sweeping statement of historicals and casual versus competitive, it's definitely in that narrative and casual space. Nice, nice. Makes me wish I was a lot closer to WA because, uh, as everyone probably knows, I'm very big on, on the story and I do love a good uh, good narrative and a good uh, themed list. Yeah, and um, I'd just, just reiterate, uh, a lot of my impressions uh, from other scenes in particular, international and whatever else, seem to be very focused on that tournament aspect of, uh, I guess, min-maxing. Um, that just doesn't seem to be a focus here. There's definitely a few players that are in that category, but maybe I wouldn't push them that far into that. It seems like for the most part, most players really enjoy playing the game and want to have a good time. And that means that their opponent has to have a good time as well. Um, and, and that's just the feeling that we have with all of our games. Now it, we do have a very healthy spread of options of play um there there is sometimes an event that's more tiered towards that min max win at all costs kind of thing there's definitely lots of events that are more in that casual basis and then we have a lot of narrative based campaigns that uh, affect a particular function within the war and that that's really about recreating those battles rather than uh you know uh playing a tabletop game Nice, nice. Now, um, on that, uh, do you see a good spread of uh, variety in the armies over there? I would, I would say so, and I would say that most people that I have met are not collecting one force, but many. Um, but you will see the big four quite well represented between most players. Most people have a preference for the major parties. But um, that's not to say that uh, minor nations are underrepresented. And uh, I guess uh, there's always a few um, at each event. And it, and it kind of inspires me to, to, to delve deeper into what the history is about those nations as well as how do they play on the table. Yeah. yeah. I ran a, an event couple of years back and uh, one of the players turned up with a um, basically an Ethiopian force based off the Italian list and um, yeah, it was fantastic to see such just a obscure and, and lesser known um, element to the war uh, right there on the tabletop it was really good to see um, certainly uh, got me doing some reading after the event and um, and a bit more research into something I didn't really know a lot about at that stage and, and I think that's one of the things that we don't see too much of yet in WA, and I say yet because you know I, I don't see the scene slowing down at any point soon. But um, most of the time, people are sticking to uh, 
a known faction. So it'll be it'll either will be one of the big four or five. So you've got your standard. Um, it'll be one of the known minor nations. So they'll take you know they'll take French or they'll take Italian or they'll take um, Australians because that's just typically what happens here. Um, but but yeah, having for example an Ethiopian force come across. Um, that's very, very interesting and very, very cool. Um, we haven't necessarily seen too many of those uh, additional forces where it does take the extra reading, the extra narrative and research to understand you know, what you're representing, what rules fit them best. Um, and that's something that I think I'd like to see. We have had a couple, um, at least one player bring a Chinese force, a World War II Chinese force, um, uh, supported by, um, you know, American equipment and arms and stuff. And that was, that was very, very, um, so I'm not many that people. Based off the, um, the nationalist list rather than the warlord Correct. or the, the communist list. Yep. Um, and so that was not many people had, um, seen or played that within Perth in particular on the current circuit. And so, yeah, it was very refreshing to have that come across. Nice. Now, um, on events, do you tend to run a, um, let's say, a dice cap or um, what's or a standard point size for most events? Oh, yeah, asking for all me, me event secrets. No, look, it's um, uh, we've done all sorts to be honest. So when I when I first started, I was playing with a group of guys at one of our local stores. There was ten of us, and they were like, "Hey, um, we want to run an event, but we have no idea how that." works like we got no idea how to put an event together how to get people involved and um i have previously worked for um, games workshop and had done a couple of other things outside of that um and i was like well i can help you create an event that part's actually quite simple but you know what do you actually want from it so we worked through some stuff and for that first one we went thousand points 12 dice limit the idea is just to get 10 people in a place to play games now since that starting point, we've deviated to 1250 points, um, up to 16 dice limit caps, no caps, um, back to 12. Um, I mean, I did a firefight uh, series of events where, um, so you had your 200 point forces um, with no dice cap because the points became the major limiting factor. But then for the different missions, you could only bring a certain number of guys out of your fire team to accomplish the mission. Um, yeah, so I, I deliberately... Um, and I've been more liberal in how I set those event uh, restrictions up. Um, you know, Justin, who's the other TO, who poor guy got stuck in Canada. Um, well, he's got family over there, so I think he was all right. But um, he has kept most of his within that sort of 1,000 points to 1,250 range and generally in a known dice cap of 12 to 14 um, fairly reliably. Um and he does other things to spice his games up to make them different so that we create that environment uh, where the community always gets something just a little bit different. Um, you know, one of the main things that I'd be looking at from my events is I don't necessarily want to phone it in and do one that's exactly the same as a previous event that was done in the last, say, 12 months or so. Um, but I also have to balance not making it so overly complex that people go, oh, that's too hard. I just don't want to go. Um, and so I do have to make sure I balance those restrictions or those changes with what they would be expecting um, so that it isn't, you know. It can, it can be quite a um, quite a delicate balancing act sometimes, can't it? Yeah, you, you certainly know when you get it wrong in, in some instances. Um, sometimes timing just happens. Like we had one event recently put together, Players Pack was put together by a veteran, um, and the day that was chosen where he wanted to run it, we just simply couldn't get the people there to run it. It was it was not um, 
there wasn't anything wrong with the pack or the way things were put together specifically. It's just the day was a bad day. No one seemed to be able to make it. Um, so, you know, those ones you go, yeah, no worries. But then there's ones that I've done before. Like I did one, um, which was it, the whole point was it was a jungle raiding party as the theme and the narrative. So you were going to play a set of battles where you were coming in on a, um, almost like a river landing and pursuing inwards towards a, you know, a set of villages or something. And, um, I'd made the missions whilst they were kind of narrative. It was very complex and just no one signed up. <laughs> yeah. I suppose, um, I know in, in uh, Melbourne in the past, uh, Rob Deacon has run a, an early war event, um, that focused on, uh, the, the sort of, I suppose what's considered pre-war conflict between China and Japan. Um, around the late 30s, which I suppose, again, that tailors very much to a certain subset of our players that have access to those forces. Um, but um, from all, all accounts, have been fantastic events. Uh, unfortunately, I never got to make any. But, um, but uh, yeah, you do limit your player base a lot when you start adding um, those sort of restrictions or complexities to, to an event. Um, having said that, everything, everyone I've spoken to that's been to that particular event, and I think there was three of them, um, raved about it, had a great time. So, you know, it's, um, it's a bit for everyone out there, I suppose. Yeah. And I think that the, um, the, the real benefit of, those varied events and being able to do things a little bit different is that it is different to simply getting together and playing a garage game. Um, I know a lot of guys that, you know, that they're like, I, I don't want to just come and, you know, you're, you're paying ticket prices on a lot of these things. I don't want to come and pay for a ticket price and then just do something I could have done with a mate in the garage at home. Um, and so, you know, it is about that fine balance and how much do we, you know, how much do we flex a little bit here? Do, you know, early war theme is a fantastic example, but that only works for people that have early war armies. So if you talk to someone who's got, you know, say, you know, I want to bring a Panther platoon. Well, that's probably not going to work. Um, you know, it's, you might feel like just slicing through everyone's armor like butter is, uh, is good and fun, but, uh, that's probably not going to work in your favor. No, no, it's, um, especially if it's well out of the theme of the event. On a side note, um, if you do run a big early war event and I can get across there, I can supply many, many armoured uh, vehicles for early war. That's <laughs> kind of my current obsession. What nations are you collecting? Um, it's probably easy to say what nations I'm not collecting. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I've... Uh, you may have seen on our uh, on the Bacon Burgers page uh, a recent post I put up of all my early war armor that I've got, um, thanks to largely a three D printer. Uh, yep. <laughs> I did I, see that photo. Yeah, and that was I've found more and printed more since. So, <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much starting with every one of the books, starting at the earliest uh, date and uh, working forward from there. Uh, and 3D printing is probably your only option for quite a few of those models as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, especially if you want to play some of the scenarios like the um, in the Germany Strikes book, I think it was, the Polish post office scenario, the um, Germans have a Steyr ADGZ armoured car. And um, right. I've never seen one ever Um mm until I read that scenario and went, did some digging and finally found a file to print for it. So now I have one sitting on my table as we speak. 
Fantastic. Those Bergman files have come in handy, hey? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure every war gamer... <laughs> Pretty, pretty sure every war gamer that has a 3D printer has those Bergman files. Bergman, Tiger Ace, and Joey Cat are my uh, go-to. For, yep. <laughs> pretty much, I mean, if there's anything else that I need that they don't have, it's probably that obscure that uh, it's about there. <laughs> are you finding over there that uh, 3D printing is a big thing for a lot of people? I think it's um, – I guess we've got an acceptance uh, in particular with, with bolt action um, when we, we don't have a huge desire from, from an overarching organization that's telling us what models we can and can't use. Um, and uh, I guess there is a lot of, for, for example, there is a lot of vehicles covered in the rule books that don't have official models. Um, so I, I don't foresee that there's an issue using 3D printed where, cause the only other option might be to go to JTFM, die Waffen hammer, get some resin, um, model from somewhere else. Uh, so I've, I've never encountered anybody with a, a, a preference against 3D printing. Uh, and I, I, it, it's used heavily. Um, we've got, yeah. Some fantastic companies here in Perth. Uh, OTP Terrain is is the the largest of them, uh, and they do a lot of uh, they have a lot of focus and a lot of models within the World War II range. Uh, in particular, they got fantastic terrain, and then that's the other thing. Half your tables probably got three D printed terrain on it anyway, Not so it all yeah. kind of fits. Yeah, I think um, I've bought a few things from OTP in the past before I got into the printing myself, um, covering a few gaps and just random bits of terrain just to spice up the tables a bit where I can. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're fantastic at supporting the scene as well. They, they regularly get involved and, and sort out prize support for us. And um, uh, earlier, Dan was uh, talking about some things where we spice up our events. Uh, the last couple, I think the last three major events we've had in Perth, all relate around having a special character or two, which is a 3D print that's typically provided through OTP, and that's sent to the players ahead of time, and that's an objective piece on the battle. Nice. I like that. I yeah. Like that. We, we use it as well. So we, we sort of try and get the most value out of that um, that sort of nice freebie. So um, we use that as well as a um, like a painting round. So instead of judging an entire army necessarily, some people struggle to get a whole army painted, especially if they're new onto the scene, where there is painting up one miniature, um, you know, and we just use a standard checklist um, of pieces to, to validate those, um, use countbacks if we need to. But that it just means that more people are getting into the theme of what these different events have been, um, which has been a very, very positive thing to keep everyone engaged and everyone's like doing different conversions for that miniature. Or So the last one we had was, um, it was Caesar and, or Cesare and Sergi, uh, which was uh, an, a double agent operative and his camel. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can imagine there's some really good stories behind that. Yes, um, there was a few... A few things which we then had to, from a rules point of view and objectives, get a little bit creative. But um, Justin did a good job capping most of those things out. And yes, most of the, if not all the players, had an absolute ball. That's awesome. Um, as we all know, I'm, I'm massive on story and theme and uh, creating a cool narrative. That, um, anything like that is uh, gets a massive green tick in my book. 
Fantastic. Um, yeah, just just a little shout out to Justin. If you guys are at all interested in how to operate an event that might be just that little bit different that has that extra edge. If you go down in the YouTube archives, we have an interview with Justin about his event Partisan Party, which features Partisan Pete, which was a model that everybody had to use, and that had a string of about six or so side objectives that affected also the rulebook missions that, that were in the game. Um, so that that's something to, to have a look for on YouTube if you uh, want to get an idea of how to do something just a little bit different than your normal missions. Oh, I know. I'll be checking that out. I kind of almost want to cut this interview a little short just so I can go check it out now because that's really got my interest up. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the good news is that, I mean, so if you do want to reach out, um, you know, I keep copies of all the different players packs that have been run over the last three years. So, um, yeah, if any of the ones that you want to have a look at, I can flick them across as well so you can see how they actually played as missions. Fantastic. So, uh, yep, anyone out there that's uh, either got an event coming up or looking at doing an event or even considering running an event for the first time, um, be sure to reach out. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's plenty of uh, – it just goes not just for WA, but over here um, we've got plenty of TOs as well. So reach out if you're uh, wanting to try to get into the scene and run some events. Um the more TOs, the better in my book, because it means that I get to yeah. play a little bit more. <laughs> oh, amen, brother. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just put out there, um, I, I've been given a few shout-outs selfishly to the stuff that we do, but really the Bolt Action Australia Facebook group is really, really helpful for anybody who's starting. Uh, at any point in time, if you're interested in bolt action, you're brand new, just put a post up there. People are just gonna dying to help you out to tell you what are some good ideas to get started. It'd be the same about running events. There's just so many passionate people in this community. Um, please join that group. It's amazing. Uh, it's even worth making a Facebook account, even if you, you don't use Facebook for anything else. There's so much good bolt action content out there, and that Australia group is the, is the best place to go. Uh, amen to that. I mean, I'm even considering making a second profile just to go on there twice, more so that I can uh, trick Harry into selling me that final panther I need for a complete company. But <laughs> so speaking of uh, armies um, and the spreads, what is on your workbenches at the moment? What is your primary armies that you're running uh, as Ooh. we speak? Just for bolt action? Yeah, let's uh, <laughs> stick the thing. I mean, I could go on about the Norman Knights and uh, late uh, Roman legionaries I've got sitting on my desk as well. But yeah, let's let's stick to World War Two for now. <laughs> we could be. Here. I um. So yeah, yeah, we would. Um, I just finished today. Um, just a tabletop standard Panzer Three N for my Winter Bulgarians. Um, so that. That was a very quick and dirty paint job that I, I only put the primers on it last night um, and you know, had a mental day away from work just to sort of get – I've been running implementations out till midnight. So I was like, nope, today's my day where I'm just going to get my sanity back. So I went and painted a tank. Um, and so he's – this Bulgarian army has been going for – what is it, Jacob, almost three years now? Yeah, uh, at least at least two, but yeah, um, for sure, it's it's taken a while, but, but you know, you're almost yeah, there. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. We're getting there. So I've I've just finished that up. So that puts the the final touches on the armor for that force, which is only a twelve fifty force to my shame. Um, 
But in terms of other things, uh, you know, I've, I've got two serviette armies, which I've still got units that I want to, you know, just finalize and put some touches on or get those painted up. Um, and that's essentially the two serviette platoons. Um, one's a early war uh, NKVD force, border patrol force, uh, and one is a mid to late war themed um, serviette force, which is a bit more of the balanced all round list. Um, I've got, I think it's, three American forces because I had one and inherited two off my dad um, and I'll probably inherit his British and Japanese as well and um, his dad doesn't play that often anymore and so he's like well you do all this stuff you may as well have them uh, nice um, now going back to the Bulgarians now um, I'm guessing a lot of those are scratch built essentially or kit bashed uh, to be brutally honest um, I did think about doing that or consider doing that um, but I ended up just using the winter German sculpts for a little bit of flexibility. Um, it was partly to just get them on the table quicker uh, as a force to be able to play with. Um, but I sort of, I had a mini heart attack trying to figure out how I was going to put all the facial hair on all the different miniatures that didn't. <laughs> and I looked at the... <laughs> I do recall seeing a couple of years ago a Hungarian force where someone had actually sculpted the mustaches on every single one of them. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, if... if you know, I, I don't do a, I do a lot of gap filling. I don't necessarily do a lot of sculpting. And so I was like, I know it's only a moustache and a beard or whatever, um, but that feels like if I get through the first squad and I'm still sane, I might get through the second squad, but I don't think I'm going to get through all five squads worth of troops. Um, and, and I don't know if, I, you know, so what I've done instead is like, I want to mark them out as different. And so I've done all the team weapons on essentially mini diorama bases. So they're joint bases together, but they'll have either earthworks or like the, the winter sniper team that normally leans up on a log i've buried them in behind a wooden fence that that's been cut up and scratch built so they will have their own flair to them as well as some uh like like trees and coverage and stuff that'll go on the bases when they're done um and originally i'd done up a massive display board it was about almost two foot by two foot um that they were all going to sit on as the display um for one of the armies on parade things that was running at one of our conventions that convention then got cancelled because of covid and just didn't happen so the display board got done and the army never got done to put on the display board but now you've got a spare uh, display board um should be yes to, to fill it <laughs> yeah <laughs> just everything has to be winter themed from now on and i'm set <laughs> <laughs> Um, what about yourself? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I've been a little bit busy. Just just started a new job, so I haven't picked up a paintbrush in a few weeks. But when in in between that, I did finish a commission that was on my to do list for a very long time. That was about seventy attacks or something like that. Um, so that all got done, uh, and that's kind of in the. I guess it's like a mid-war Italian color scheme that is from Italy and not Mediterranean in the sense that it's not North Africa. So they, they mainly, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that was fun. Uh, as for myself, for bolt action, over the last couple of months, I kind of cycled, sold everything that I had, and then wanted to start again from scratch. And that gave me the opportunity to explore a lot more different models. The way I've been collecting bolt action for the most part is buying one plastic kit of 30 troops and then a tank or two that I like and kind of calling it a day. This time I went 
pretty much all metal. Uh, and I've got, you know, uh, th- th- this is a late war Berlin defenders list. Um, so that meant that I-, I just went crazy. I got early war SS, late war SS. I got, um, Brandenburgers. I got, uh, just a whole range of basically almost one of every metal kit that had in warlord for Germany. Um, and that was just because of the variety in the sculpts and it just looked visually so much different to the plastic minis. Um, halfway through doing that, I wish I got the plastics and then I, and then I started implementing some plastics in it, but it's a really interesting looking force because you've got, just such an array of uniforms. You've got some that are winter, some that are not and whatever else. But it, in my head, it just kind of pulls together the image of we're grabbing every last guy we got, whatever uniform he's got, and he's going to fight to the end. That was my kind of inspiration for the force. And then that also led me to uh, being able to collect pretty much everything I wanted. So the last big German army that I had was um, the Africa Corps. But that always meant that I was in this early to mid-war, can't have a Panzerfaust, can't have an assault rifle, can't have any of the bigger tanks. So this time around, I've allowed myself to have all of the really cool stuff. Um, yes, and probably the last mini that I would have done to complete that force would have been and never worth a team, um, which is my first funky cool toys that you can play with too at that sort of stage as well like the the night scopes and the or the nutcargers yeah the anti-aircraft shoulder mounted little gatling gun looking oh that's yeah it's cool yeah some crazy something like that yeah yep Something with the Perth scene, as soon as I start making late war force, it's early and mid war uh, events popping up. And that, that was the reverse when I was doing the DAC, but <laughs> that's how it goes sometimes. I know. Control those, Jake. Quick, let's, let's, let's go opposite to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah um, sorry. And, and the last thing that's been on my mind, haven't talked about it with anyone, is because I'm down to one force at the moment. I need I need the reverse. I need to pick an allied force. And um, for quite a while, I've been, been eyeing Soviets, but then they're kind of very similar to Germans in a way. Um, so I might be going British, which is something I actually know nothing about. Um, but I know, but those new plastic British minis look awesome, and that's already that's already pushed me to to, to wanting the, to get involved. The new the new plastics is you can go Commonwealth quite easily as well. Um, mm, Commonwealth yeah. box, so and you can mix and match uh, both boxes together to create some pretty unique forces. Um, that's what I like doing. Plans to do a Maltese force at some point. Um, for the King's Own Rifles, uh, my grandfather was in the 215th Engineer Battalion, um, I'm pretty sure it was the 215th, uh, on Malta, uh, which was one of Malta's only two battalions, the other was the King's Own Rifles, um, and it was interesting, the pictures you see of uh, the Maltese soldiers were basically British-style uh, Mediterranean uniforms, but with um, camo-painted helmets, um, so some darker sort of cool. intersecting sort of lines so that's kind of a long-term plan of mine is to put together a small Maltese force um just something really quite obscure and I suppose um personal for me in a way I think they're sometimes the best forces to be honest like mm-hmm. it's because it, there's that that ultimate connection to 
your, your subject matter. So we have a, a guy in our community who, um, I, I won't name him, but, um, but he did a force that his grandfather fought in. Um, and his grandfather was actually at, um, I think it was his grandfather, great grandfather, um, was at market garden. And, mm. um, so he did a British commando paratrooper force. And, um, that was very, very cool. Cause he had all his, like all the history of the service and, you know, the, the records of this is where they landed. This is what happened. Um, and it, you know, it meant that even though we're all there to play war games, we were all able to actually take part in that moment of, of, you know, remembering and, and, and just, yeah, just walking away with something more than having rolled dice, which was very, very nice. That, and that's something that, um, has always interested me too is, and I suppose that comes back to why I like narrative gaming a bit more than the, the, uh, the tournament side is, is those personal stories and the, um, the history from it. And, um, I suppose the, the untold stories, so to speak, of the uh, ordinary soldier rather than of armies and generals, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of those kind of stories, something that might resonate with Australian players, another silly shout out, but um, bolt action. Uh, there's a, there's a little rule set that, that's out there. That's a community one called VC on the trail. Um, that's something that you should really check out if you're interested in trying bolt action in the Vietnam War theater. Um, so there's a, uh, I guess a community rule book out there that has forces for NVA, VC, US, ANZAC, um, and I'm sure I'm missing another, probably South Vietnamese. Um, so you can find that on a group called Bolt Action Vietnam. Yeah, I've um, I've actually got to have a look and see if they've updated the rules since I uh, last downloaded them. I've got- I haven't uploaded one in a long time, so <laughs> I will get in touch with them and see where they're at. Nice. I've um, triggered me to get um, some uh, Vietnam War, uh, US and uh, VC, actually. Um, Especially with those Rubicon models. They look so cool. Yeah, see, um, unfortunately, when I um, when I bought mine, they uh, they weren't available, and I bought from a company um, that looked great online. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when the sculpts arrived, um, yeah, some of them were unusable um, due Ooh. to uh, misaligned molds, um, massive amounts of excess uh, flash. Flash, yeah, and. Um, yeah, the um, I'm just trying to think of the name of the company, but uh, I don't think they actually operate anymore. Uh, but they also had a debacle with a Finn's Kickstarter before, which I wish I'd known before I'd bought several mm. squads. Um, but yeah, it is, you live and learn, I guess. But uh, yeah, those uh, the Rubicon ones that have come out now just look absolutely fantastic. One hundred percent. Yeah, they they are really cool. All right, gents. Um, really appreciate uh, you guys coming on tonight and having a bit of a chat. And um, really cool to hear about WA. I know myself and the rest of the boys have talked about uh, bringing some cheese over there when we can. Um, you know, uh, things are, well, COVID-wise at least, are trying to, to normalise. Um, so, listeners, um, 
check out the HMG podcast. Uh, it can be found on uh, Apple iTunes and all good uh, podcast listening apps, I believe. Um, also believe that we uh, you can access the YouTube channel as well. Um, under I believe that's under HMG as well, is it, lads? Uh, so you want to be looking for us, uh, Western Tabletop on YouTube. If you just, it's just youtube.com slash Western Tabletop. We cover some other uh, wargaming stuff on that channel as well, but we are primarily the historical miniature gamers, uh, and that's a video podcast. Uh, so we have all of our uh, podcasts available on YouTube on that channel. But if you Google HMG podcasts, you Google Western Tabletop, you'll find us. There we go, folks. Um, some great listening and some viewing uh, to be had while uh, sitting at your desk painting away furiously for the next event. All right, lads, once again, thank you very much for joining us here on the Bacon Burgers. And, um, yeah, we'll uh, hopefully can get across to uh, the other side of this great nation uh, sometime soon to roll some dice with you. That sounds Thanks. good, Rubes. Thanks for having us on, mate. My pleasure, lads. All the best. Thank hey. And we are back. Um, we are? Yeah, we are. Um, yeah, I no. was, well, I know you stepped away from the mic for just a moment there, Tristan, but um, no, it is. I was um, privy to quite the view. Um, I, not one, <laughs> but two fellow bacon burgers strip off on camera in front of me. <laughs> Look, I, it's, it's dinner and a show, all right? Yeah, that was the deal. <laughs> and you decided to go ahead with this. Don't worry, guys. I'll um, expect you in the morning. Nah, no, you won't. That's what you said last time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, look, Rubes, that was a fantastic chat that you had with the boys. Now, I can say that because I have actually heard a bit of it. Um, nice to hear about what those guys are up to and what their met is doing. Um I think that, you know, going forward, we're going to try and do a bit more of that. So we want to speak to, you know, um, different metas around the place. So if uh, you are running sort of a, a community somewhere that, you know, maybe doesn't have a voice, you're not part of a podcast, sort of, please get in contact because we'd love to, you know, sort of make some time and have a really, really good chat with you. Um, Especially if you're from South Australia. We've 100%. been trying to make contact since 2014. Are yeah, we- you out there? Yeah, we tried to, and then we accidentally ended up joining a South African group because we thought it was Pulse Action SA. <laughs> it was turned it was South African. Um, speaking of South, South African crew, exactly right. Well, I'd, I'll tell you this: the um, it's a very sad day today, boys, because um, yeah, South I African, have the official statement here. It wasn't the South African, so they did something else. But yeah, um, foreground are uh, officially closing their oh, doors. Yeah, that one. I yeah, can't, I can't get my head around that. Yeah, I mean, look, wood has suddenly gotten really expensive. Like all, all the carpenters I know are going, "Fuck me, I can't run this this business because the cost yeah. of timber is is through the roof." Yeah, everything's expensive at the moment. It's fucking nuts. I mean, between that, and I think we're also getting to a point where three D printing is finally catching up to people's desires. Yeah, we're starting to see more and more 3D printed terrain, and that's great. I'm all for different terrain. Whether I'm, you know, okay with it at the cost of a company like Foreground, yeah, um, that's where I'm at. I'm still out to lunch on that one. I don't know. Look, uh, I, I think because you know, I've I've made a lot of 3 printed 3D printed terrain. Roots, you have too, right? Yeah. Um, to to make something big, like like um, even some of the moderately sized foreground stuff. 
um that takes a long fucking time mm. to print that that's, that's yeah because you're talking days, you're talking like days. yeah <clears throat> you know it's a it's a good chunk of the week my yes, question if is that's, if that's all you're doing that week then it's a worthwhile investment isn't it oh if yeah you're working from home great yeah but if yeah. you're not uh look i wouldn't be leaving that machine running while i wasn't in the house yeah, but sneaky, you're not a loose unit. I mean, you're a loose unit otherwise. You like to yell at Europeans, but um, you know you're actually you know quite safe. Um, I guess it's one of those things. Like, yeah, if you are working from home and you're a gamer and you just want to you know crank out some terrain, then you know it's probably the way to do it. But um, yeah, I'm with uh, Hari on this one at the at the expense of a company like a you know well respected and well loved company like Foreground. And look, I'll go on the record. I like Foreground a heck of a lot more than I like Sarissa Precision. Yeah, I find, I find Sarissa I stuff think, fiddling I think and annoying. Probably what we're going to see when you know when it's all said and done is companies that do three D printing, three D printed terrain, are going to be fairly successful, yeah. and companies that do the basic MDF shells like Viv from Knights of Dice does, yeah. they're also going to do well because yeah. they both offer an avenue of freedom of customization. Well, also because they're, um, you know, like, I mean, the foreground stuff's great because it's, you know, you just literally take a pop, pop it off the sprue, get your MDA, um, your, um, oh, God, what the hell's a PVA glue out, and, you know, you can put it together and get it on the table quite quickly, whereas, you know, I love Viv stuff, but you take it out, you put it together, and then you've got to paint the bloody thing, and that can take you some time. Wait, we were supposed um, to paint it? Well, generally, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Oh, look, the, the other thing I would say that, that is a challenge for all 3D printing um, um, STL providers is, uh, is the, to use the, the word of the day, the, the fungibility of it, um, that it's so easy to pirate. Um, yeah, getting people to actually pay for your work. And uh, I say this as a, as a, a musician who's, who's had to deal with the working both before and after the the ease of of piracy and yeah. what that did to to the sales um i don't know how easy it is to actually make any money out of selling stls um, yeah you see and, I, I, and you I, notice I, I, now that they've moved to uh, many of them have moved to a patreon model rather than just yeah. going okay you you can just buy what you need and 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 print it as you go mm-hmm. they've moved to this model where you have to pay them every month yeah, and that's got to be for the reason that they're just getting their um, their ass kicked by the by the piracy or the yeah. inability to just make a consistent income. See, I saw a I saw a comment go up on the main bolt action page where somebody was advertising their wares, and um, you know they were I mean the stuff they were putting up looked quite nice, and I thought yeah it looks yeah it looks alright after, and then somebody commented and tagged a friend. You know, evidently this was a friend of theirs who prints stuff, and you know he was letting his mate know. And the mate just came straight up, and his first comment was just like, "I only print stuff that's free." Mm-hmm. And that entire that entire comment sort of summed it up for me. It's just like that is that's why. It, and you know, I mean, you know, speaking directly to that guy who said, "I only print shit that's free," son. If you keep going with that kind of fucking attitude, no one's going to be making anything new for you, and eventually you're going to go, "Well, shit, what the hell have I got to print?" Oh, mm-hmm. look, that's not quite true. I mean, the. Nah, well, that, that's that's a, that's a, that's an old older view because there was a time when when this stuff was brand new and people were just going oh cool this is an interesting hobby I'll just make a bunch of ruined buildings which mm. lots of people do because it's so easy to make like the the first thing that you would do 
when you learn uh, all of the the uh, design tools. Yeah. Right? So if you go to somewhere which is entirely free, like uh, Thing Thingiverse, right? Um, yeah, you can you can find all of that shit for free. You can find quite shitty ones, to be quite honest. But yes, they are free. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, there are much better ones that yes, you pay for. But even even within that ecosphere, um, people are moving away from that and going. If you want my shit, I want ten dollars a month, not just five dollars per building every year and a half when you decide you want something. Uh, it does, I fucking hate that. I don't. I don't like subscription models. Um, yeah, I yeah. saw that happen to uh, all of the a lot of stuff in the the uh, publishing uh, book publishing system as well they, they yeah. everyone's going towards um subscription software because they, they they just go oh we we want you on the hook every month not just yeah uh, I, I can also see the flip side to that though too because i mean a lot of stl providers also provide commercial licenses um mm-hmm. and i can see the patreon thing being a thing of creators realizing that just because <laughs> someone buys the regular version and not the creator's license or the um a seller's license, they all know that people will be printing stuff for their mates or sharing files and that. And I suppose it's a way of eliminating having to have a commercial license tier, I suppose. Uh, yeah. For one way. I mean, they kind of figured, well, people are going to pirate my stuff and print for mates and print for whatever. I might as well uh, get, get what I, I should get for it, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, Sneaky, allow, allow me to ask you this in regards to, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, from, you know, looking at it from a music point of view, mm-hmm. um, and you've had a lot more experience with this than I have, and I like, you know, on both sides, you know, both hobby and the music thing, you know, what's, what's the alternative to like a, to a, like a Patreon, the kind of subscription service thing? How do you actually get around and get people to pay for what they're supposed to pay for? Well, that that is the question. If if I had the answer to that, mate, uh, I would. And I, and I, I I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that to be a smartass. I'm not trying to put you on the spot or make you look foolish. I'm genuinely interested in your in 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 your point of view because you have a a very grounded point of view in regards to this. Well, look, I, I would I would say it's that is the difference between look uh, as a musician. I never sold volume, right? Because yeah. a it's a niche market um and by and large by the time um i was doing things that were popular enough to be signed to a label um cds were treated as loss leaders by by that label like they they would go cool cds are five bucks five bucks us um but where we they and we made all, all our money was these beautiful elaborate double gatefold vinyl with posters oh yeah patches and all that mm. kind of thing, right? We no no one's making any money at all by by selling a a, a CD because mm. hardly anyone wants hardly anyone wants them, right? uh, well, especially now. Yeah, I I still buy them. Um, I've actually gone back to buying CD because I've got a really nice CD, high fidelity CD player, um, and the cost of international postage has become completely ruinous. <laughs> No, See, that's. I mean, just not. just based on that, this is why I would rather just sort of. I'll just pay my fifteen bucks a month to Spotify, and I know that it's a bit evil. But if I'm, you know, feeling like I want to listen to this or that or the other, I can just literally pick it up, hook it up to my car, and just you know, drive home listening to Fear Factory, and it's it's all good. Yeah, 
but uh, you know, I have probably a thousand or more CDs on the shelf. I don't really need to yeah. pay someone. Uh, um, I've fixed some a month to to have what I already have. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. yeah and, oh, look, there's a whole lot of stuff about that. Um, you know, I, I used to sell ebooks to um, academic libraries, and there, there's a lot of eth- ethical concerns about that model because what happens when you've paid for something and then suddenly through no fault of your own, um, it disappears. Mm. Yeah, that that uh, digital file has has been pulled for whatever reason. Um, there's no way to guarantee your continued access mm. to that. I mean, it's why I, I don't. I'm not particularly fond of Netflix or Spotify or any of these sure. subscription models. I would rather know what I own and mm. have it there on the shelf and be able to look at it and touch it and know what's going on. Oh, I get um, it. I completely yeah. get it. But then you know, fuck, we all, we can't all live in a house made of DVDs or books. Well, I mean, this is I mean, this is the thing. It's like you know, if I'm driving around, and all of a sudden I think, oh, you know, I'd, I'd love to listen to you know that um you know that obscure. I don't have to have the album in the car with. Me. We're getting into a rabbit hole. I'm getting into a rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So it's well, just how they go and call it. Yeah, he's like, yeah, fucking nailed it. Fucking Russell the Love Muscle. Um, all right, so yeah, I, I, I guess that you know, getting back onto track, yeah, we are seeing foreground kind of closing. I hope, I, I don't think I'm correct, but I hope that this is the last that maybe there are, you know, there, that, you know, people can put things in place to mitigate this from happening in the future. I don't think they will. I think that this is this is a slippery slope that we're on now. Uh, look, but, it's a slippery slope for a couple of reasons, and they they're partially related to what we were just talking about, but not necessarily. It's that mm. the cost of materials has gone up, the cost of shipping has gone up, and as inflation bites into people's disposable income, people are less prepared to to spend money on discretional purchases. Agreed. It's as simple as that. Agreed. Yeah, it's a tough time to be operating a, a luxury business. Mm. Uh, I could not agree with you anymore. Um... So we've seen foreground go. Uh, has anything else happened in the last couple of weeks? It's, it's the thing is, this is the problem with you know. Maybe we should just go back to the the model of just recording once a year because then we've got shitloads to talk about. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, look, the only thing of note that's really popped up is the odd statement that came from the Jix gaming community in the Bolt Action South Africa group. Okay, now I want to I want to I want to put something in place. This is this is so far as we can tell, not really related to Warlord. They're using Warlord as a bit of a shield. I'm not entirely certain yeah. where their heads out with this one. Well, um, Warlord, they also Warlord, Warlord were in there commenting on this, saying, "No, this is not our policy. Don't put our name to this." Wow, interesting. Okay, okay so they've done this off their own back. Right, hang on. No, be- okay, before we go any further, Hari, can you read the statement out, please? All right, the statement in full regarding 3D printed models. Bolt action. As an official affiliated and Warlord sanctioned distributor, we can no longer allow the use of any 3D printed models in bolt action games being played in our gaming space. There are isolated exclusions to this where there are no official models available for a specific model. These can be discussed and approved accordingly. All Rubicon and Italeri and other official model producers' models will be allowed for bolt action. If you are in any doubt of any models, please just ask and we can give clarity on this. They then go on to mention Infinity. 
Corvus Belly has never allowed any 3D printed models in their games. However, you are officially allowed to proxy any Infinity model for any other model. We will follow these regulations as specified by them. It's a weird statement. Okay, yeah. well, I've this been is very, very Games Workshop. Yeah, yeah just hang on, thing. sneaky. Hang on, just I want I want sneaky's I want sneaky's opinion on this, please. All right. So what this is is uh, the the shop saying we we do not want our space being taken up by shit we can't sell. Um, and having looked at how other stores have have dealt with this, they're like, I don't want someone coming in here and uh, coming up to my staff and going hey, where did this guy get that and get this whatever unit it is and whatever and going, we can't order that for you. Uh, it's as simple as that, right? The, this this shop is being a little bit more um, mask off about what drives um, things in, in that, that sphere than most mm. are. But, but this is not an uncommon view, right? This is why... For for example, right? No no gaming shop that uh, I've ever seen carries, except maybe now that uh, um, Warlord has launched um, its epic fifteen mil stuff. No, nobody carries fifteen millimeter um, metal models, and you never see them played in there. There is a relationship between those two things. It's like the same way that you don't go and eat your Chinese meal in McDonald's. You know the the uh, the shop, the gaming space of the shop is a sales driver for the stock on the shelves, and otherwise they are just in the business of being a uh, adult daycare center for neckbeards. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. Oh wow, we've all just been cut down to size. Look, and and this is this is why I've always been an advocate of play at a club, not at a shop. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really have that whole shop thing. That I mean, House of War is probably the closest thing that we have. I don't know full well that Deb and Olden wouldn't really give a shit what you were playing with when you went in there. Yeah, I mean, we did have a gaming store over in Lismore, and the guys yeah. there were great. They didn't care what game you were playing, what models you were using. They got flooded the fuck out, and yeah, that's a dead end now. But I, I used to play at uh, Viv's gaming shop when he owned that. Where was that? Oh, uh, that was in Northcote. Oh, okay, well, Viv owned a gaming that, shop. Was, yeah, before that he was on um, uh, Nicholson Street. His very first shop was uh, ah. yeah, Nicholson Street. Ah. Wow! Really, literally. Um, oh yes, yeah, so it was. Too, it was too. Yeah, I used to play there too. I stumbled across it one day when I was at work, and um, went, "Wow, this is only several blocks from." My office. Uh, is yeah, I stumbled across it when I was at work and radioed in. I'm uh, I'm investigating something. I'll be offline for about the next. <laughs> Backup not required. Send beer and pretzels. I repeat, beer a week and pretzels. later, they found him. Yeah. Deep cover. So, running deep cover. All right. In light of the statement, my question, Sneaky, is if Warlord has been in the comments saying this isn't our policy, don't put our name to this, how's that going to play for this store? It's not. Uh, It's their store. They get to make the rules. I mean, they do get to make the rules, but they've just dragged Warlord into an argument that Warlord didn't want to be a part of in the first place. Warlord is going to go, that's not our policy. Fucking... Warlord is is, uh, part of an older older generation of 
the gaming philosophy. Like part of the reason they've been as as successful as they they are is that they will sell both rules and models, but they're quite mm. happy to just sell you rules. Yeah, because they're off that generation where you know you just bought a rule book from some guy guy in his garage in wherever, and your army was made up of bits and pieces from four or five different suppliers. You know, um, and look, I've I've talked to spoken to the, those guys and read many interviews with them, and they are definitely from that philosophy. They wouldn't have the relationship with the Perry brothers that they that they do if if that was their attitude. Yeah, it's just one example. Or um, there are there are many more. You know, they wouldn't have pictures of other miniature manu- manufacturers stuff in the the source books if they were I mean, I think, going at I, it. At- I think Sneaky is a hundred percent on the money because at the end of the day, if you're going to come out and say, you know, you can only have like you know this this you know official wall. Oh, by the way, Rubicon's fine. 100% it's correct yeah. because all their shit on their fucking on their shelves is going to be Warlord, Atalari, and Rubicon. And, yeah. Like, if you're going to do that, just come out and say it and go, sorry, guys, but, you know, yeah. having said that, if you're going to do Have the balls to yeah. stand there and say, look, this is our store policy. We only want you to use models that we sell in store. Yeah, but you can't do that, can you? Well, no, you can't, but you'd garner a lot more respect for having the nuts to actually stand there and say, hey, this is what we're about. I'm all for businesses. Yeah, I'm all for businesses turning a profit, but oh, yeah. when they're trying to facilitate that in a in a manner that is it's somewhat underhanded, way. yeah, I at that point I go, well, no, yeah. you need to actually be clear to your customer base what you want to achieve. It's a very very strange point. I swear, yeah. I guess I can say it is a strange point of view, but it's not. It's not a strange point of view. I think in the fullness of time, in in a couple of years' time. As everything catches up with itself and stops tripping over its own feet, a lot more you know, friendly local game shops as they exist in, in particularly it seems to be an American phenomenon, um, I think they'll get into the idea they'll be running a small print farm out the back. And, uh, House of War. House of War got 20 or 30 3D printers. Do they really? I know. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. 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 Just, just going back to the, the whole uh, don't play with what we don't sell, I mean, it, part of me kind of wonders if it comes down to the local community as well. Like, personally, if, if I go to an event at a gaming shop, I've, I've already got that army built, painted and everything, so I'm not actually buying from that yeah. particularly. But I always mm-hmm. m- make an effort to buy a, yeah. a new pot of paint or if they've got snacks, I'll mm. buy some snacks. Yeah. Just just yeah. something. Now, yeah. obviously, the, the, the venue pretty much is going to get um, part of the admission fee, but I always try to buy a snack or something as a gesture to support the store as yeah, well. Yeah, put so some money. Yeah, put put some money through the till. I get you. Part of, yeah. part of me wonders about the the gaming community that goes to that store as to if that community does something similar or not. I mean, obviously not being that community, I don't know. But well, look, look, reading reading their comments, um, and I I was looking through that actually not before not long before we started. A lot of the subtext to that was uh, their exchange rate is really shit, um, and it, yeah, comparatively speaking, it costs a lot more in terms of the relationship between the cost of buying a, a, an official kit and uh, what their hourly wage is because yeah. the exchange rate is shit. That it's really, really expensive 
for them. And they were just going, look, yeah, we'd love to do that, but we can't afford it. It's it's uh, the the temptation of the the 3D print thing um, is directly proportionate. And going back to what we were talking about just before, um, to your exchange rate and the, the cost of buying an official kit. Look, I love to I love to support wherever I can, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I imagine I would be able to buy somewhere. Um, what's that? <laughs> what's that big train gun? You know that enormous. Uh, the um, uh, Calmora. Yeah, no, it's not a Cal Gustav. It's something. Yeah, Schwerer Gustav. It's the Dora 600 millimeter railway gun. Yeah, you see, now I'd love to have that in my life. I truly, truly would. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to go to Shapeways and pay somebody, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of dollars and then spend thousands of dollars. Like, no, I just get fucking rubes to print it for me. It's, it is what it is. It's may a... or may not have some print files. Yeah, I knew you would. Like, I'm still. Why do you even I'm talk? Still... With you may or may not have roots. We all know you have the file. Yeah, 100%. Stop dancing around the issue. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my 1-1 Thompson, by the way. <laughs> Actually, I do have... No, no. I do have a file for it. But it is, it's basically... you got to re, you got to build it screw by screw. Really? Yeah. It's pretty pretty intense print. Um, yeah. That. Do it. Send it. Fuck yeah. Um... Where's my titanium silver? There it is. I'm painting Paris. I think we're all painting at this stage. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the cam footage, and all three of all four of us are going for it. Um, no, you guys are painting. I'm scraping. You're scraping. I'm, I'm up, just uh, gluing grass onto uh, bases. Oh, I haven't. It's literally I have not flocked a base in so long because everything that I've done is it's all based for Arnhem. So it's all like you know guys running around with. Um, uh, yeah, on like rubble bases and everything. Um, pretty you, happy. Is, you need a sabbatical in Bastogne. Sorry, mate. What are you using for bricks? Uh, I went to Viv. I actually had to. Uh, I did a plumbing job for Viv the other day, where I had to new, run a new air compressor line for it. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. yeah, he he sorted me out with a bag of um, uh, MDF bricks. Yeah, I've, I've got like two of them because I accidentally ordered two when I I should have just done one. What have you got? What MDF stuff? Yeah, his little little sacks of sacks yeah. Well, I've got a yeah. I've the stack of bricks I've got is it's ridiculous. But basically, yeah. all I'm doing at the moment is I'm just I'm mixing up to simulate. I'll put some <laughs> photos up in the in the Bacon Burgers chat. Um, sorry, in the Bacon Burgers Facebook page a bit later. But all I'm doing is getting um texture paint from Battlefield Accessories. Uh, these 28 mil. MDF bricks from Viv, and then I also get uh, it's called Crusher Dust. You can get it from um, sand and soil places, mm-hmm. and I'm doing that, mixing all that up, and then just smearing that onto the base, and it looks really, really good as just you know, sort of um, debris. Well, as it happens, you know, I now work for a, a, a quarry producer. Yeah, uh, and I, I'm actually just across the road from a fucking huge uh, cement and concrete plant. So yeah, we'll see if they've we got have- some Crusher Dust. Oh, they'd have all sorts of shit like that. Oh yeah, that's the crusher dust. I mean, I think, I think Russell the Love Muscle put me onto the crusher dust. Um, well, I'll, I'll be uh, be going out to the quarry to blow some shit up. Sometime, Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, are you, for, are you for real? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it would be uh, like demolishing part of a cliff face to uh, make some uh, concrete aggregate. No yeah. shit. Oh yeah. Sneaky, you're living the dream. That sounds like a that sounds like a, a grand afternoon for you. Well, you know the the intro to the Flintstones, where he's like in the quarry. Yeah, but dabba do. 
riding yeah. a dinosaur, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking you out there riding a sturm tiger. <laughs> Sneaky diggy doo. And away he goes. Yeah. Um, all right. So the next topic I wouldn't mind us having a bit of a chat about is the divide uh, between competitive and historical or narrative play. Now, all four of us are very different players. We all come from fairly different backgrounds. Now, I, for the longest time, uh, sort of through playing with the original bacon burgers i had a a belief that you know competitive play was something that we didn't we we shouldn't sort of aspire to that it maybe wasn't that good um i don't know if i believe that anymore just based on the fact that i think you can have both you don't it doesn't have to be one or the other they can both exist quite happily um it all depends in my opinion as to what your to is trying to achieve Mm. um yeah, Thoughts. I'd take the same approach. It the spirit of an event falls purely to the TO to define what that is. Yeah. If you want to say, if you here's the thing: if a TO runs an event and sort of flips back and forth about what the event is, you know, is it a historical event? Is it competitive? Is it this that? Is it red, white, or blue? And then at the end of the day, players walk away going, well, I didn't really have a good time. That's on the TO. And any lists that were encountered that players had issue with or felt uncomfortable playing against, do not level complaints at the player running that list. Level complaints at the TO who allowed those lists into the event in the first place because they are the ones at the end of the day who had the power of veto. Yeah. If you as a TO sit down and decide to plan an event, Make sure you know what you want. If you want to run a quote-unquote fluffy event where everyone brings historical lists, go for it. If you want to run a competitive event where people bring their strongest possible lists and go balls to the wall, go for it. But always be prepared to clarify what your event is about. And And any event that happens in between those two extremes... 100%. 100%. If, that will make, if that's what makes you happy, if your players are happy doing that, then do it. And the thing is, I think I speak from a position, because this is something that is very Australian-centric. I mean, just speaking to people online, our, our meta is looked at with this kind of, you know, this. it's very odd, you know, the Australian meta. Like, it's very... Because we just were so, we you know, for the longest time, you know, we uh, you know we decided to play it you know a particular way, and there's there's nothing wrong with playing it that way. By the way, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm just saying that you know, I think this whole thing where we steer things away from being competitive, I think is is wrong, because at the end of the day, you know, I think that there should be the odd event where you can kind of take the gloves off and really sort of you know flex the muscle and see what happens. Um, so I think so there's. While I agree with with everything that's been said on that f- fact, I think players have some responsibility too is to know what sort of event you're going to. So if a TR yeah. is running an event, have a read of the pack. By by the love of God, just read the pack. And yep. if you're unsure, ask the TO, send a message or post on the event page, hey, <laughs> this is what I'm thinking of running along these lines. Will it fit the event? And, and, and really know what you're doing. Like, oh, I've taken some pretty historical lists through to competitive events, knowing full well that 
you know, there are players there that who are, you know, top two to players win. and, and there yep. to win and bringing competitive lists. And I've still done it because that's just my style. Um, mm. You know, I, I ran, I've had two, I primarily have run two armies, essentially, although I've run a French army once. Uh, my DAC is my, my go-to, um, and I've run my um, very um, specialised, um, my uh, naval landing force army, um, which, and I've run a, a one-to-one 1940 German platoon down to the horse-drawn supply wagon. Um, now, have I won events? Not really, no. Have I won some games? Yes, I have. Um, and I, Harry is uh, <laughs> sinking into his seat as we speak as my uh, highly uh, historical uh, naval landing force did pierce him in many, many places. Oh, that wasn't comfortable. But, I mean, every game I've had against you has been a good game. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, throwing back to your point about players reading the packs, absolutely. But at the same time, TOs need to read their packs as well because I've yeah, been to events a, where TOs have no handle on their own pack at all. It's a it's a symbiotic relationship, really. The TO puts it out there, and the player has to understand it. So the the TO has to have an idea of what they want out of their event. Do we want just a fun day with people throwing dice? Do we? There's want nothing wrong with that. That's themed. Do we? And want there's nothing wrong with that. People go out and get to smash some face and just go, yeah, I stomp curb stomp that that bloke, or I curb stomp my yeah my mate. Um, or I ran bayonets where the sun don't shine, uh, yeah, you know. But it's on that player. It still hurts when you sit down. <laughs> it's on the player though to understand the event they're going to, yeah, the meta that they're going to, and what they're taking and how that all works together. Because yeah, a, a player shouldn't turn up with say a nineteen forty list, uh, say nineteen forty one to one German list in an event they know it's competitive. And think, you know what? I've got a top tier list here. Um, Brad's event where I did that, um, I specifically went, you know what? This is what I want to paint. This is what I want to run. I know mm. I'm not going to win the event. I'm, I'm, I may not get, even get any wins. Um, but I, I went in knowing full well what the event was. And as it was, I got the um, the badass award for taking playing at ultra hard mode with a list that was just not going to compete against 1944 and 45 lists. But I went in knowing full well that's how it was, and I was fine with that. I think Look, it's. Uh, an, I'm, I'm yeah, going to chuck, chuck in my my two cents here, and uh, I think it's a bit of a false dichotomy, honestly. Yeah. Um, with, in the sense that you you can make a perfectly kick-ass list in most um, circumstances and make it historically plausible. Right, where the things the things that that shit me honestly is where you just min max it and go, yeah, I'm just going to use the um, generic theater selector and get, for example, the um, really cheap machine gun tankettes because they cost nothing and they put out a lot of pins, and take that with Panzerfaust and like Elite yeah. from 1944. Yeah. Right, um, I don't think that there is a, a, a necessarily a dichotomy between historical or at least historically plausible right okay we're not playing something like chain of command where you play with a toe chart that is exactly the establishment of a rifle platoon from blah right the nature of the game because we are playing with um the variability of point selection it makes it non-historical anyway right yeah. you didn't you didn't 
pick what what your squad was carrying. A rifle squad was this, and that was what you got, right? So so right from the outset, let's not fool ourselves that we are, unless edge cases, like, you know, as Rube says, you, you want to really push that. But um, choosing something that is within the spirit of um, historical plausibility and respecting the source material can still put out a pretty fucking killer list if you want to do it that way. Absolutely. It's like it's like when people look at, you know, things like the Mortar Carl, that 203-millimeter mortar, and go, I want to put that on the table. Well, there's no unit entry for it. Okay, I'll get someone to write one up for me and then hit up a TO and say, yeah, I want to take that. I don't understand that impulse. Like... You can build historically accurate lists and do well with them. You can build competitive lists and do well with them. But at the end of the day, you need to know what you're walking into. And if a TO isn't prepared to define an event, then honestly, I don't think they should be TOing an event. Yeah, but we were treading into ground that's sort of, we're getting away from the point of the discussion. And the point of the discussion is, that I believe that in Australia, and this is, I mean, Sneaky and I, we had this conversation in a roundabout kind of way last time where, you know, I think that, and I agree with Sneaky's point, is that hopefully we can get ourselves into a situation at some stage soon where, you know, if we are running an event, maybe we can run it so that, you know, if you decide that you want to come along and run narrative, you know, your your list is from 1939 and it's this and this and this. And, well, okay, you're going to go into the narrative stream. If you're here more for a, a competitive challenge um, that, you know, you sort of want to test your medal and really prove yourself, then you can go into this other stream. And in a perfect world, that would be glorious. I just, it's, mm. I'm, I'm saying that right now, I guess, I guess the other thing I'm also saying is that, um, my uh, my advocating for you know sort of competitive play does not then mean that I'm comp- like I'm abandoning narrative play. I like narrative play. I like rocking up to events and just seeing friends and rolling dice and farting around and going to get a good lunch with sneaky cheese. That sort of stuff is great. I'm just saying that we can also do the other thing and have it be as good a situation as well if you're understanding what you're walking into. If you walk into an event and you think this is going to be a good fun narrative time. And the, the pack clearly says, you know, bring your fighting trousers. You then can't really complain and go, oh, well, you know, that guy only won because he took, you know, this, this, and this. Well, yeah, he did because he was there to, you know, win. Yeah, mm. we're, not, we're not talking about the same thing then. We're, if we're talking about the difference between narrative playing and competitive play, that's yeah. not the same thing as the difference between historical play and competitive play. Right, you are. Do, do, do you get my point there, right? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that thing, I, I would be of the opinion, if I was a TO and I saw these weird lists, I would be, all right, justify it. Show, show, show me where there was a puma in Africa, please, and then you can take it. And if you can't do that, then you're just being a cheese lord because you want to min-max your, your army. Yeah, but that's also what I'm getting at, is if you're, like, it's... If you're running, uh, if you're running an event that is strictly competitive, and you are there to you know do well and you know play your hardest, then you should be able to rock up with whatever you want to rock up with. But then if we're you... not playing a World War Two game anymore. We're playing well. We're pl- we're playing something really quite weird. We're playing uh, like fantasy league football version of World War Two. I agree. I agree completely. I mean, in saying that, aren't we already playing it? 
we go well, through I, our I selectors. Try, I, try, I try not to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we all yeah. try not to, but at the end of the day, there is a certain element of that. We go yeah. through, be it a theatre yeah. selector or the reinforced platoon selector, and we pick and choose what we want to take right down to the unit options. Yeah, but so in a sense, we're self we're self self monitoring against that though. Like I, I, for example, I will look at that and go, "Cool, these are the new new lists that we've got," uh, but I would only use them in a historically plausible way. Yeah, so I'm always I'm in the looking, same camp there. Look at looking but... for ways to 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 get a unit to work the way that it would have historically, and to get good rules that do it. But I'm not going to take something from 1939 and shoehorn it into a 1945 oh, God, no. list just for the sake of making a killer list. Mm. Yes, I mean, if you're talking about historical plausibility. I mean, that all runs out the you know that runs out the door as soon as you play your first game when you know you're when you've got you know sort of Finns and Italians fighting each other in the jungle. It's yes, yes. I see. I I get the get that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, case in point, that game I had against Lockheed Germans with a Tiger fighting against Australians in Eastern Europe and machine gunning yeah. and medics. But, you know, I can only speak for my personal experience with localised matters. Mm. The self-moderating nature of the bolt-action community, and I'm not saying it was moderated in a bad way, but there was definitely a distinct lean towards a non-competitive attitude towards the game. Mm. That all came out of the trauma of the 40k community and the unmitigated toxicity of what that was and to a lesser extent the war machine and hordes community i mean both of those are or at least they were back in sixth edition 40k horrific places to be as a gamer if you just wanted to have fun you would get dick stomped within an inch of your life and if you were still breathing they'd come back to put the boot in oh man it was not I, me and my brother played a lot of fifth edition and into sixth. We loved fifth. Um, yeah, I, I played Arcanicon every year for mm. I don't know, six or seven years running. Never did that well, but I, I did great on the the painting scores because that was in, uh, incorporated into your final mark. But the club that I was I was in that I, I had started and then left because I just thought, as you say, it, it had become quite toxic. You would rock up, and it was just everybody t- testing their edge case face kicking lists. That yeah, based, like, based on oh, cool. There's this one unit in this Forge World book that's got this uh, broken rule, so I'm going to order ten of them from China Cast. Yep, <laughs> and just kick yeah. your ass with it. And it, that's all it was for the all the live long day. The end result of that was the Gold Coast community completely collapsed. The TO there then tried to pick up bolt action and replicate that, and within 18 months to two years, it had completely died, and we were back in a dead zone. And at the end of that, the players that were still playing bolt action looked at each other and went, well, we're not going to do that. Yeah. So we are going to stay away from the competitive side of things because not through any fault of the other players, but... It was, I guess you could call it a, a perception issue in that, to our minds, competitive immediately translated into that toxic atmosphere that we'd experienced with the other games. Mm. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's what nearly stopped me from getting into bolt action events and tournaments. I remember, I remember because mm. we had a lot of talks. Yeah, it took a lot of work from Tristan and myself to get you to come to an yeah. event. Yep, because I, I had to sell a lot. I had to sell you a lot of miniatures. You did actually. Um, I've seen, more seen more. a lot of that. Um, Never, <laughs> bastard. Um, I've <laughs> I'd seen a lot of that toxicity and that hyper competitiveness, and that just isn't my my scene like i'd done a few tournaments i did all right in a couple of tournaments um you know and had some fun but some of the hyper competitive win at all costs attitude i saw just turned me off that whole scene entirely um Mm. and i think that's why you know actually being talked into my first bolt action event and having just a blast i think it is as we say the Australian scene, at least the East Coast scene, is, is largely self-regulating in that fact that it's not a um, face-stomp fest. So it is a bit more um, open to newcomers in that sense that you can be new to the game, you can go to an event, you can still have some fun. Um, yeah. But having well, said this that... Is what, one thing can, I want to chuck in there as well is that um, you know, having played a lot of other... Hit- tournaments in other historical games um, through through the league. So um, Saga events, uh, Field of Glory, ADLG, um, and having observed other ones for like um, DBM and whatever. Look, there's, there's a competitive scene for it, but it's not based on list building necessarily. Yeah, list building is part of it. I, I mm. agree. I mean, you can be competitive without being win at all costs and without taking the cheesiest, sneakiest, dirtiest list possible. Bayonettiest. Well, no, that just was part and parcel. I mean, that's just a, a national rule. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, you, you can be competitive. You can take a historical list. You can take a piecemeal list that may not be top tier but still be competitive. I think it comes down to um, how you play and how you present yourself as well. Um, yeah. So I could take a, an absolute fluffy historical list, throw some dice, be real competitive about things, but not be a dick about it too. And I think that's yeah. one thing that our scene has going for it is those real dick players are far and few between. It's, it's generally yep. speaking guys that want to throw dice, no matter what their list is, be it historical or, you know, a bit of face smashing, you know, top tier toys type stuff. It's, um, it's a fairly welcoming community and fairly, um, fairly uh, accommodating for newer players. The thing mm. is, I'm not, I'm not advocating that that community has to stop or change or do anything no, other no, than no, continue no, on its I, merry yeah. way. I'm advocating that, you know, there is another way to play out there. Oh, and sure. you know, yeah, look, should we, you know, should we embrace um, that a little bit more than maybe we have? Yeah, look, you, you hear about like the the Scottish meta, and I believe the Welsh are very similar. And I think Spain might be very similar as well. Where, oh, you might be wrong there. I don't know. Spain, Spain at yes, know, yeah, Denmark sure apparently quite past. good. Um, uh, Scotland in the past is literally uh, floodgates are open. Um, yeah, it's terrible, if it's in the book, it's legal term, uh, term at this time. Of, uh, what's going on but um you know if it's in the book run it bring yep. bring what you can bring the mark and let's just throw dice at each other but for them it seems to from everything i've heard um seems to work 
and they have a great time doing it. Um, if there's anyone in Scotland um, listening to this, send us a message, uh, post up on our wall. Give us I a guarantee bit more insight you, to I, that. Be, I guarantee you that me. right now, I guarantee you right now, as soon as you said that, Alistair's jumped on his keyboard and he's already hammering out an email to you. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, the new idea. Ah, you play balls action in Scotland. Ah, I'd like to wreck this. Every one yeah. of my guys has got a fucking kilt in the haggis. I'm going to fuck you up the ass. That's essentially how that email's going to go. Is that racist? I don't know if that's racist or not. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's... Um, Ali, I love you. Yeah, there's there's metas that are out there that are like that. And that's um, whether I don't know if it's a product of previous experiences or or uh, landscape. You know, Scotland's a beautiful place, but, you know, the weather ain't great. Yeah. Bring, breeds a, a heartier, harsher, stronger, you know, constitution, I believe. Um, I, I, I put it down to the fact that they hate the English. So anything the English come out with, they automatically have to break. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you want to give us a set of rules? We'll break that. Fuck you. Um, yeah. So look, I think I think there is room in the Australian scene for events that uh, advertise clearly as you want to throw dice hard, then come, come to this event type. Yeah, um, I think because that's that's honestly how I treat CanCon at the moment. Mm. There is yep. there is no other event on the event calendar that I look at where I think I am going to go there and just do my absolute best to wreck face. Yeah, and yep. you know anybody who you know any at the end of the day you don't show up to CanCon and just accidentally win CanCon and oh, I'm a fluffy player but I've accidentally no you go there and you play and you play hard. And sneaky, you'll attest to this because you know you did exactly you did it the same year that I did. And at the end of day one, you and I were like, I honestly thought it was going to be you and me. And I'm, I'm a, there is a part of me that's really upset that it wasn't you and me on that last table. Genuinely, yeah, yeah. Well, we nearly got there. Fuck yeah, uh, we did. Day day two let me down, but uh, yeah. Anyway, but um, so that's that's kind of where I'm getting at. As I think that this whole thing where we just go, well, no, it's got to be fluffy and everything like i think that i think that see right now like a lot of people would be saying yes but it's more about you know making sure your your opponent is having a good time but as long as you go into that game you know understanding what it is you know you know how you're going to be playing or what you're going to be doing there's no reason why your opponent can't have a good time at the same time as well i don't think any event that's going to um say up the ante from what we normally see in the the east coast scene as long as it's clearly advertised look this is a wrecking ball event this is you know come and bring your nastiest list as long as it's advertised that way i think there's plenty of room for it within the australian scene and i think in a way and and I, i i actually probably would play an event like that um if it was something that I'm looking at going, you know what, this entire event is just about smashing face. Out comes my yeah. threes and Tachanka, you know what I mean? There but, you go. Um, I would play those events, but I know exactly what I'm going into because it's been advertised as, hey, this isn't bring a narrative list. This is, we're just here to smash face um, yeah. event. Yeah. And the thing is, it's I'm like I keep banging home, but if you don't want to play those events, don't play them. That's exactly right. Just go, I'm going to sit this one out. Like, you know, it's not for me. Fair enough. And if, you know, if it's not your cup of tea, don't come. Don't play. It's all good. We completely understand. So so basically, I'd, I'd sort of hark back to what I said earlier. And look, if a TO is going to run one of those events, um, make sure it's well known. That's what it's oh, going yeah. to be. Uh, if it's going to be a narrative event, like a purely 
story driven type event. Obviously, people still build the list and everything. Um, yeah. I think Rob Deacon is a good example of that. He ran uh, quite a few, I think three or four events set around the um, Sino Japanese conflict. Um, yep. And they were very narrative driven. Obviously, players still built their thousand point lists and everything. But it was yep. well advertised. This is the theme. This is what it's going to be. Um, That's what I'm about. And then on the mm. flip side, as a player, um, if you're going to an event, please don't go to an event that is advertised as one thing, bring a list that is totally not suited to that style, and then turn around and go, oh, that was a shit event. Um, yeah. yeah. Don't don't take a themed fluffy list to a, a smash face event unless you're aware that's what you're going into and and um you know, an alternative don't stop. don't rock up to a don't rock up to a, like a new players event with like you know like the Stalingrad selector or some shit like that. I mean the, the thing is though exactly your I mean, TO your TO not even then the has selector. A- don't turn up to one of those events and pull out your list that you have played a thousand times and you know exactly how to use it to get the you know the desired end result because that's yeah. without even realizing it that is a competitive list for you. It's something that everyone has their own lists where it might be an odd combination of units, but you know how to make it work. Yeah. Case in point, if someone looks at my list and goes, you've written a 1250 German list and you put a Panther in it, that's not competitive. Well, fair go. That might not be competitive from their perspective. But that's not to say that I don't know how to use that list and make it work the way that it's supposed to. So, and if you don't, players, you know who you can sell it to. I knew that hey, was coming, buddy. I've got five of them, and guess what? <laughs> You're never gonna see them. <laughs> I'll just swing them back and forth like pendulums every time we record, <laughs> dangling by the gun barrels. But Sorry. you know, Rubes is right. Players do have a responsibility to police their own lists. Yes, but also we're not that TOs have responsibility to make sure that you know people bringing lists. I mean, oh, I've, had it, I've had it at my events where people have like yeah. said, "Oh, I want to, you know, I want to bring this," and you sort of give them a call and say, "Right, just can we just have a think about this because, like, you know, this is not going to work." Or you know, you've mm. you, you've spent three hundred and fifty points on a you know a ten man squad of Germans. Like, why? Like, it's oh, it's yeah. a boy. I mean, I've run events where people have sent lists through and I've gone, I've looked at it and just gone, okay, we need to have a chat. Yeah, 100%. Where did this list come from? Oh, well, this guy, blah, blah, blah. How long have you been in the community? Uh, three weeks. Yeah. Might want to reconsider your list, buddy, because you're not going to have a good time. No. Or it's, okay, you're a tournament player who's come here to break face. Mm. Like, let's tone it down a notch. This isn't, we're not playing for sheep stations here. Exactly right. I think that's the other thing to sort of remember in bolt action. It's like you can go to whatever event you go to, um, even like, you know, the big one, like a CanCon, and it's not like you're playing for like, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. There's like... Yeah, there's no cash prizes in this game. No. I mean, if you're going to walk away with a Lamborghini, well, I'm going to go and rebuy my LRDG back and start, you know, (laughs) really, really getting some practice in. Ice will take you to pieces on that. Sorry, you want to know something funny about that, though, right? So everybody in the 40K scene is all about, oh, yeah, you know, oh, but, 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 but the prizes. Their prize support is shit. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody gets anything. Like, you get on the on the top table and maybe you get, like, um, a fucking Land Raider or something. 
you know, the, the amount of support that, that we get through through our sponsors who do a brilliant fucking job about supporting the community. Yep. Takes mm. the arse of that. Um, yeah. and but then, having said that, with Games Workshop prices, a land raid is worth about three months' wage. So, you know. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it basically, you could, four land raiders, you can have yourself a sheep station. <laughs> I was going to say, Sneaky, they're giving away land raiders. Jeez, I should go and play some 40K. I'll get my house paid off after a couple of events. <laughs> well, I finally, I finally sold off that uh, Trader Imperial Guard army that has been the fucking millstone around my neck for. Years and years and years sitting in my my cupboard, uh, and I used the proceeds thereof to buy a fifteen millimeter hundred years war Agincourt. Um, oh, uh, sneak! You're going you're going full old historical game, aren't you? Oh yeah, oh, le- he is leaning into that. He's leaning into that demographic. Something fierce. Yep, a pint pint of real ale and a pork pie and <laughs> a pie. <laughs> I've got a tweed jacket, even. I've got a yeah, you tweed. wait. Sneaky, Sneaky will be at some stage very, very soon busting out the, the, the vape pipe, and that'll be it. <laughs> <laughs> the last we ever see of him. Oh, the gentrified bacon burger. Oh, yeah. Is there such a thing? Is there he, such a thing? He says he's sitting in his, his sleeveless Sisters of Mercy shirt with the That's tattoos. That's a good shirt. I like that. The tattoos and... Yeah. yeah. It's tweed like covers, shepherds going, oh, you're, you're posh, your posh guy. It's like you haven't seen me. <laughs> I know. I love that when they called you a, and then the juggers called you a poshy. I was just like, you don't, you just don't know. It's gold. Anyway, so if given that we are talking about lists and uh, the the ethics and everything thereof, mm-hmm. maybe it's a good time for us to have a talk about what we're thinking of taking to some upcoming events. Fuck yeah, do it. All right. Well, who well, wants to start? Well, look, I look. Everyone kind of like I've I've been pretty open with what I'm taking. I'm taking paras. I'm getting to the end of being able to paint these guys. Um, essentially, I think I put my list up on not my list. I put my army up recently on the bolt action page. So everyone kind of knows what it is. It's just you know squads of vet paras with some support. So, um, it's pretty boring to tell you the truth. There's nothing interesting or quirky or unusual about the whole list. It was for me, it was more about I just want to repaint these guys and see what happens. I'm more interested in knowing what Sneaky Cheese is taking to uh, specifically Conquest. I want to know what you're taking to a two day event. Well, okay, so I had to think about this, and and partially it's it's a function of what I'm likely to be to be able to get painted in time. And yep. uh, as I mentioned, I've I've got these uh, U.S. Airborne on the table and yeah. I was thinking, Oh, okay, look, I could take that. But then I'm like, look, I don't know it as an army. I won't get a lot of time to practice with it. And then I was thinking, okay, so what are the, what are the, the prizes you've got? Uh, obviously best access, best allied, best painted. And then you've got best theme. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go for the theme thing. Uh, and so I'm going the full sneaky on this, which is something I've kind of talked about at other times in the past, about how to really do that full Panzer Brigade 150. Um, oh, you're going to do it. You're going to do all those boys. Oh, yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. the the idea is that, so not only that, but to have the synergy between all of the weird tricks that you can get in that. Uh, so it would be two platoons, Yeah. Uh, one of which is the 
the Panzer Brigade 150 platoon, which is really just the officer and two infantry squads. Uh, so they would be, at this stage, probably regulars, 10-man uh, regular squads with the BAR. Um, so you can't shoot at them until they open fire. Or well, we you get within what is it six inches because they're Panzer Brigade one hundred and fifty. I think it's twelve. Yeah. All right. Right. So uh, they would be sitting on the back edge. Ah, um, nice. Yeah. The second platoon uh, is that. So it's it, the idea is the hammer and the anvil. Right. So it's to try and get people to move onto the board and go towards them because oh I can't do anything until I get right up close to them. Um. I'm going to take a uh, squad of uh, military police, right? And they, in conjunction with the Panzer Brigade 150, means that your uh, enemy's reserve roles are disrupted. The um, neg two? Yeah, neg two, I think it is. Um, and the having military police in my side means I get plus one on my reserves. So the idea is, on, on at least situationally, uh, yeah, you've got to come right towards me to do anything, and my reserve roles for outflank are really heavily buffed because I've got the uh, military police uh, doing their traffic management thing. Uh, so coming on from outflank, you've got the real hard shit. You've got they've got the veteran they... SS squads and um, uh, what would you say, uh, <clears throat> engineers with flamethrowers. Uh, I've got a Puma and a Lush. You're, fit, you're fitting all this into a thousand points, sneaky. Yeah, 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 yep. Good lord. Um, it's 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 right down to I've I've calculated this list something like five times now. It's it's getting to within a couple of points of it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think that'll be an interesting one because it's it's got, certainly got the firepower, um, yeah. and for the first couple of turns. Um, they're going to be copying mortar fire, light artillery fire, and not really being able to shoot at anything. So yep. hopefully copping some pins. Their their reserves aren't going to be coming on, and my reserves are going to get that bonus for the outflank. Uh, so with a bit of luck, my idea is that um, there'll be a bunch of stuff in the middle of the table that's been pinned a few times by light artillery, mortar fire, maybe some sniper fire, and then the um, rest of the army comes in from outflank and it's like, oh, hello. Um, and then the, the the rest of the army can start shooting. I love the fact that you actually have, I mean, I have no battle plan. It's literally like, you know, sort of push it up the board and see what sticks. Whereas mm-hmm. you've actually got, like, you've actually thought about this. So I think, Sneaky, I hope this is the event that we see you just absolutely come through and just go like, you know, five straight wins and just dominate. Well, look, we, we know that at least two of the six battles are straight up um, maximum attrition. So yeah. we, we know that. There's, we know with some idea what another two of them might be, and we yep. know that two of them will be complete wildcards. Yep. So, yeah, look, there's, there's at least some uh, idea of what goes on there. The other yeah. And it can work the other way around as well, that the um, infiltrators just go up the board because you can't mm. shoot at them. You yeah. can't shoot at, shoot at them while they're just running it until you get close enough. No, but that's the pain in the ass. You then run the risk of having them, you know, caught out in the middle of nowhere unsupported because you push them up. Mm-hmm. But 
you're um you're pretty cagey. I've played this list against you. You got unlucky, mm-hmm. but um, look, man, I think this is good. I'm looking forward to seeing you run this. Look, it's different versions of it in the past have worked really well, and they they were done with um, box grenadiers, which are a bit. They they're swingy. They can either be really good or really bad. I didn't want to risk that this time. Yep. Um, so the support units aren't Volks grenadiers. They're actually more solid kind of infantry mm-hmm. choices. So it's it's all big, uh, all regular and veteran. There's no um, other than the military police unit. There's no one. Um, no experience. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to this, man. I think this will be good. Mm. Um. All right, so are you thinking roughly something similar, just 250 points less if you're going to come to um, Andrew's event? haven't really thought that far ahead yet. Well, that's the first one that's coming up. Oh, Jesus, is it? Okay. Oh. Yeah, that, that come, that, that's, that's before Conquest. That's two weeks before Conquest. Ah, right, okay. So that's, that's the first one that we've got coming up. That's in the first weekend of April. So, yeah, you need an outline oh, and right. access list. Right, okay. Yeah, uh, no, I haven't even looked at that one then. I, I'd forgotten that that was a thing. <laughs> okay. Get on with it. Okay. So, Rubes, what are you maybe – are you – you don't have you coming um, on yet. Yeah, not sure at the stage. I've uh, got some annual leave around that time. Um, I've just got to check with a couple other things to see how well it gels. Um, if I have to bring in Allied and an Axis list, um, probably my DAC, I would say. Uh, probably in the best condition. Um, and as for allies, I'd probably bring an early war French list. Although I knew you were going to. Either that or maybe oh, I might oh, I'd have to look at it. I reckon I'd have enough Belgians painted or even oh, you remember, bring the waffles or um, or the BEF. Uh, what you've got to remember is if, if you're going to come along and run, say, the DAC, you need to provide another army for you know, the new player who will potentially be using that. And do you really want a new player having to learn, you know, the fucked up rules of the Belgians or the Dutch? The idea would be, man, just if you're going to run, what the fuck were you going to run? Well, I'm, just looking, I'm just looking at uh, armies I've the got painted. Yeah, so yeah I would just run it, just bring Americans. Oh, I don't have a fully painted American army yet. Bull shite. I don't actually have, I've got the armies, just not painted. Um, Ugh, three colours on a so, watch. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm, I'm kind of looking at, because, you know, Brits. all early war, so I'm, I'm sort of, all my focus is pre-US entering the war at this stage. Yeah. What about Whatever that? happened to that early war marine project you were talking about? Uh, I've got two squads painted. Um, actually, it does remind me now that I've got a 3D printer. I can print some of the um, particular artillery that I wanted to use. Um, Why do I say these things? And um, yeah, I'm still yet to get to that. I'm still sort of based in 1939 and 1940 at this stage, pushing through to 41. I think hmm. um, the idea would be to bring something relatively easy, yeah. so that you know. Unfortunately, uh, most of my armies. Aren't I mean, realistically, back. the Belgian list is pretty easy to learn. You get yeah. a free artillery piece and. If your opponent pull, if you pull your first dice on the first turn, your opponent can tell you to put it back in the bag. It's That's it. It's the French. Yeah, there's no real intricacy to either the yeah. French, the Belgians, or the Dutch. Yeah, 
so they would actually be quite easy to pick up and a new player is probably going to go hey i get two for it i get two artillery pieces instead of one cool mm. yeah so like i said i've, I've just got to um see how it fits in with uh, a few other things i've got around that time as to whether or not i can make it but i should should have that worked out in this next week i would imagine yeah sweet i think you're on um you're back at work, unfortunately, for Conquest, aren't you? Yeah, I believe so. I think that's the weekend after I'm, I'm back at work, so I don't like my chances. I see how you go. Swap a shift, mate. See how you go. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. Do it. Come to Conquest. It'd be nice to fucking catch up and stay at my place and we can just hang out. Um, Sounds good. So, essentially, yeah, so with... Uh, with the list that I'm putting together, um, it's just, I mean, I think that Andrew's, the list I'm taking to Andrew's is like just 750 worth of vet paras and then Lee's event. It's like another 260 points, which allowed me to bulk all my squads up to eight men and then add a, add a locust. Um, yeah, a yeah, lucky little locust. A little lucky little locust. I can't wait. Should be a bit of fun to paint that up. And then, um, yeah, we'll sort of see how it looks when it's all done. But, you know, it's nice to be having events back. They just, in my opinion, it's just taking forever to kind of for them to sort of come around. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe it's maybe because I miss CanCon. Like you know, because I didn't do CanCon, I'm just being impatient. I'm like, oh my god, just fucking let this happen already. <laughs> Doing my fucking head in. Yeah, it goes oh, like that. It does indeed. It's funny without that driving factor of events. Oh, the, yeah, hobby just the hobby on. impetus dies off drastically. Yeah, it really does. It absolutely does. No, you you guys need to just find a club and play every weekend. Yeah, it's, I mean... You I know, work you, weekends. You are correct. And you are correct. Yeah. I mean, it would be great to have a gaming venue around here, but the last one got flooded out, so we'll have to find one that's, a you know, 15 metres in the air. Yeah, that's crocodile-proof. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of events, uh, is there any other events that have popped up that we're aware of that are coming up? Other than the ones that we covered in the last episode, um, the, no, three, that's the, the not, not three steps back, I think will likely have run by the time this episode drops. Um, and that's the one being run by the juggernauts. Uh, that is a singles event, by the way. Um, I butchered the shit out of the promotion for that event. <laughs> and to the Chuckanauts, I do apologize. Um, there's also a camp liner that's coming up, um, which, you know, that's being run by Russell Love Muscle, so that'll be a fantastic event. Um, and then we've got Sudlich happening in August sometime. Uh, I don't know. It looks like I'm going to be heading back to the UK for at least sort of between eight to ten days at some stage this year, so hopefully that doesn't land on, um, yeah, one of those events. Otherwise, I ain't going. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll just sort of um, see what happens. Yeah, no worries. Um, uh, just on, on upcoming things, a uh, bit of a shout-out. Yeah, yep, for um, an upcoming Kickstarter run by RKX Miniatures um, called Hurtgen Forest. So, as we all know, I do enjoy a good uh, 3D print. Um, That's an understatement. Yeah. And <laughs> really? I didn't do, notice. do have an obsession with backing... Uh, Anything and everything. Kickstarters that uh, really pick my interest, and this one definitely has. So, it's going to be a, um, a Kickstarter looking primarily at uh, both 
US and German uh, forces around the Battle of Herken Forest, um, including uh, some of the fighting around Ar- Arken. Um, so uh, from what I've told, uh, the core files are going to involve some infantry squads. Now, here's some interesting ones. M12 uh, gun motor carriage, M30 carrier, M4A3 Sherman, and M10 tank destroyer for the Americans. Uh, Germans are going to be looking at some infantry squads, Hetzer, Stug 3G, Stug 4, and a Panzer 4J, so some uh, late war toys there. Um, very interested to see the M12 and the M30 for the uh, the Americans in that. Uh, mm. Don't think I've actually seen any, any of I've those. seen one M12, and that was... What's the M12? It's a uh, 155 howitzer on the back yeah, of a... Basically got the German, Tom. Yeah, it's like oh, a... Oh, right. So I can tell you this for certain that um, Matt Bob Emerson from um, Matt Bob Miniatures sells a conversion kit for you to be able to put one of those on a either a Rubicon or a Warlord Sherman. So there is a kit oh, out there for it. Yeah, yeah but no, I, yeah. it was one of those things I was going to do, but then just sort of chickened out at the last minute because I'm like, who really needs a heavy howitzer on a Sherman? Yeah, yep. So, um, yeah, it's the 155. Um, so, obviously, with bolt action being a bit of Hollywood, that's the sort of thing you could probably put on the table, um, and it won't look out of place. Obviously, for other game systems, um, you, you might be struggling to put uh, such a long-range piece on the table. But either way, I'm looking forward to adding uh, one of those to my armor collection. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can check out the... Uh, Kickstarter when it's up and running or jump on the RKX uh, Miniatures Facebook page and um, see some of the updates that are coming through. Hey, just quickly, who's the guy who was um, – you guys put this up in the chat the other day, that guy who's um, doing files for Finnish infantry? Um, I'd have to uh, jump on uh, Wargaming 3D to find uh, that gentleman's name, but um, there is – yeah, the – some finished troops on Wargaming 3D for uh, 3D printing. Uh, resin. Fucking hotness. Yeah. Yep. So those sculpts are just amazing. Now, the printer that the ones I, I sent you on were done on a, a top-notch printer. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I have bought one or two of the, um, of the squads and have printed a couple of them out. And I'll tell you what, even on an a entry-level printer, they are very nice. So Still coming um, up good? Yeah, yep. I'll have to put up a, a picture uh, on the page after this, I guess. Do it. Um, but they have come out really quite nice for a, uh, a resin print. So mm. my favorite is the uh, the supply um, uh, vehicle, which is actually a reindeer being led by a trooper. Yeah. Um, so that, that'll, be, uh, that'll be added to my finished force uh, down the track. Uh, once I get round to doing a bit more painting, I think um, when I saw that, it's one of those things where for a, quite a while, and Rubes will tell you this, that I was very sort of apprehensive to jump onto the you know the resin or the three D printing. It's you know like I, I'd, I'd had a couple of pieces, Garrett had printed me a, you know a, you know a couple of pieces out here and there, and it was it wasn't bad, but I was never all that impressed. I'd rather you know much rather go and get like my models elsewhere. And then, yeah, this thing came out, and oh my god, it just <laughs> holy moly! There was it, a definite reaction. I went from six to midnight, and uh, I will let the listeners 
infer from that statement what they will, but it was incredible. Like it was genuinely like that sort of, I was like at that stage, I'm like, yep, I'm definitely getting a resin printer because that's what you can do. Uh, that's amazing. Because the fins is such a limited range. It's very, very rubbish, you know, considering how good an army they are. The Warlord stuff isn't bad, but it's not great. And then you think, oh, well, it's okay. not great. And the molds are starting to wear out. And there's that one head that looks like the waxwork of Sylvester Stallone having a stroke. Yeah, there's a few like that where it's just like, oh, God, this is just not great. Like, we, you know, you need to, you know, have another crack at this. But, um, yeah, it's, oh, fucking Baker Company. They kind of killed it for us for a long time. And, well, somebody like, well, like War Games Atlantic, if you guys are listening, can you just crank out some plastic fins? Because, you know, chances are if you crank out plastic fins, Warlord will do the same. And that'll be great. Please do them in summer uniforms. Well, just give use us a mix their, of both. Um, use their World War One Germans. For fins, isn't aren't the helmets slightly different? Isn't they got those beads on either side of it? Don't they? Yeah, no. The fin, the Finnish helmets had those, but I sat down and looked at them and worked out what I'd need to sculpt on. Mm. Just a bit too much work. Need the pocket, the breast pocket, pockets. Uh, the belt needs redoing. The sling for the bread bag. Oh, got the bread bag. Yeah, these into jack boots. It's a bit too involved for a project that should be quick and easy. Yeah. That being said, if if War Games Atlantic is listening, please, for the love of God, do plastic fins and kick out a 30-man box of plastic Hungarians while you're at it because there's a community of bolt-action gamers that will thank you from the bottom of their wallets once the damn thing stops (laughs) screaming. From the bottom of the cacapatios. Also, I have one question. Where are those Italians? Have they gotten lost en route? Oh, you ordered some, have you? Yeah, and they've been missing in action. I think they may have defected. No, you didn't give them enough spaghetti. They've gone back to the motherland. Well, screw it. Mm-hmm. They're still, still playing uh, the, the battle for North Africa. and they're on the <laughs> <laughs> Enough water rations supplied. Water yeah, rations. Yeah, they're yeah, on turn, turn, the unfinishable well, game. <laughs> They're on turn 12 of 352. <laughs> <laughs> With each turn taking hours and hours and hours to complete. That's it's crazy, man. Like, I, I ended up on this Facebook group, uh, which just purports to be, you know, war gamers, but it's uh, Americans mostly. And, um, you know, in America, um, hex encounter board games are still a really big thing. The, those old school like uh, SSI and Avalon Hill style mm. style games where and like miniature gaming just never seemed to be such a big thing there as it mm. was in the UK. I always found that really interesting that there's, there's such a weird kind of geographical divide between whether you're just sitting over a map with little wooden blocks or or pushing around the little plastic men. I'd rather push around little plastic men. There's something yeah, more tangible too. about it. Me too, but it is the case of the scale, though. You can fight a much bigger game with um, just... Yeah, I keep... Um, yeah, Mike Parker keeps trying to get me into... Um, was it 15 mil? Flames of War? No, nah, 20 mil and 15 mil. He keeps trying to get me into it, like either one of those. Yeah. I, I, played, a, I played a 10 mil um, World War Two game yeah. a couple weeks ago. That was interesting. That was actually really quite good. Um, yeah, it was. What was it called? 
Uh, that was Fire and Fury, I think. Uh, so we did a 1940 uh, France scenario. But you, you you get a real sense about, you know, oh, you can bypass this town entirely because the town is only um, yeah. maybe six inches by, by ten inches or something, you know, so you can outflank the whole, uh, you know, if this town is heavily occupied, you can just outflank it and then it becomes, uh, its supplies are cut off and uh, the attrition mounts on it ten by ten. How long does a game go for? Um, I think we finished in an hour and a half. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. it's not bad at all. On the same token, I've thought about um, doing some six mil, um, some one two eighty fifth World War Two. Oh, Jesus, you yeah. do Kursk and things like that. Uh, easily, much easier on a six by four table, and still get that sense mm. of a bit of a grand scale. I mean, in six mil, it would actually look like a decent table as opposed to yeah. a part yep. lot a la team Yankee. Um, and again, we are going down a rabbit hole. I see. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, fine. We're towards the end of the episode. I've not, I don't mind a couple of rabbit holes now. We've gotten all the important stuff out of the way. So, yeah, I think I've actually been interested to see uh, uh, playing bolt action at a, a smaller scale like that as well. Um, obviously, didn't we ping that idea around yeah. like years ago? Looking we bought a bunch of uh, plastic soldier company stuff and talked about doing bolt action in fifteen mil. And I ended up with uh, your Americans. Well, you can't have done because I didn't buy Americans. Well, Germans, vice versa. I ended up with yeah. fifteen mil. I got, for you. Yeah, you got my Germans because um, I was looking at doing it for battle group as well. Uh, mm. the, the consensus seems to be that that uh, battle group is native for twenty mil. Um, in fifteen, we've been playing O Group, uh, which is which is actually pretty cool. Um, That's one of the Lardy's rule sets. Yeah, isn't it? it is. It is, and it, it's it's a very Lardy rule set. You know, because they they they're really into that thing about uh, the blip counters that you know something's there, but you don't know what it is. Mm. Um, so even though it's it's a um, battalion level game, it doesn't have all that many figures on the table at once and until the very end uh, because there's a lot of stuff that are just patrol counters or um, uh, reconnaissance contact points on there that, uh, yeah, that, that, that worked quite well. And uh, you can easily use uh, any existing Flames of War army for that. So if you see one going cheap, uh, I mean, Flames seems to be pretty much dead in the water, sadly, is it? as a game system in Australia, but um, if you do see one uh, going for a reason... Weirdly enough, there's a fairly strong community of Flames players up in Brisbane. Right, okay. Don't know why. But then again, it's Brisbane. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's a jumped-up sheep station. It's it's dead down here, but a lot of the people who own that stuff are are starting to play Ogrip with it. Hmm. There you go. Fuck it, I just fucked up an eye. I'm trying to paint my eyes on bloody paratroopers and I fucked one up. Oh, God, you're oh, insane. God. Yeah, paint me like one of your French girls, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> that paramount like have, have your six, but he's got your nine and three. He's got your fucking, he's got you 24-7. <laughs> it's one of those, it's the Jack Frost model, Jack Frost. No, sorry, um, Johnny Frost. Where he's blowing the little horn, and I had it absolutely perfect, and I just thought, oh, I just need to touch that up a frat. No, fucked it up. 
Yeah, but I mean, when you give a puff on the bugle, your eyes do go in two different two different directions, so it's probably not entirely inaccurate. <laughs> I've given up on eyes. I've just decided that was that was uh, just anime eyeballs. I couldn't deal with it. I admire people who paint them, but I have no desire to become one of them. Yeah. The thing is, I've gotten to a point. I remember talking to Patch about this years ago. We we're talking about eyes, and he said, "Are you going to do them on your on your airborne, on your American airborne?" It's like, nah. He said, "Just try it. Just do it like this." Do he gave me his little recipe for it. And I as soon as you do it, American airborne. Mm. There's a American airborne army going in WA. It's got a few of the plastics, but it's riddled with the uh, metals from the old Warlord starter. Nice. So I reckon, uh, speaking of blowing the horn, it's probably sound to sound, sound the uh, retreat trumpet. And um, I, I fucked forward. up another one. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Before um, too many uh, Paris start looking. Uh, <laughs> at every way but forward. Um, yeah, before they all start looking like Marty Feldman. You beat me to it. I was Yeah, look, I thought, look, I, I, I mean, at this stage, I think the wheels fell off about 20 minutes ago for whatever reason. We just stopped pressing. We just didn't pressure stop record. And we just kept on chatting like we did. We forgot we had a fucking audience. Hey, it's part um, of the charm. It is part of the charm. Anyway, look, guys, <laughs> thanks for joining us again. Um, if you do have an event coming up you would like us to promote, you have a Kickstarter you'd like us to promote, if you have, you know, models coming out you'd like us to promote, please get in contact. We're happy to have a chat. We're happy to, you know, spruik your wares and, you know, try and make things as successful for you as possible. Um, in the meantime, roll dice, have fun. Stay safe. Um, stay safe, absolutely. Yep. And, um, stay dry. Stay safe. Yeah, stay dry, if you can. Shower with exit mold regularly and clean between your toes. Ugh. And if you're a Northern Rivers gamer who's had the misfortune of losing any of your stuff, shoot me a message and I'll see what I can do. Hey, there he is. All right, guys, I'm going to say goodnight. Peace out. Adios, amigos. Catches. Catches.